Hello, and before you get started on this episode of Zap to the Past, we would just like to give a massive shout out to the following people Andy Marsh, Cole Hutchinson, David Hearn, Sven Osa, 2000DC, Gary Heather, Roger McNally, Lee Dove, Mark Fletcher, Etienne Vettingfeld, Niall Bullitt, Alexander Gosling, Tim TJ Walker, Phil Sowerby, Joshua Kay, Dominic Kendrick, Rune P, Nick James, Daniel Spreadbury, Peter Price, Richard Davey, Dennis B, AL82 Retro, Liam Carew, Dylan Darch, Trevor Planner, Alistair McMillan, Mark Schutz, Lee Sparkles, Dan Wales, Gary Wilson, Oscar Jacobson, Brian Howarth, and Rob Clayton. These amazing people have backed our Patreon at the C64 tier, and the support they offer is just awesome. If you want to join them and get a mention in next month's shout-out, access to our Discord server, early access to ad-free episodes, along with any special releases we put out, along with anything else we can think of, then sign up by the 18th of the month at patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past for little more than the price of a pint of beer. It helps us keep playing the games so you do not have to. Yeah. Welcome to episode 111 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. We are using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on, but we are in no way affiliated with Zap 64 itself. This week, we start our look at January 1989 and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 45 of Zap 64, along with what was also going on in the UK singles and albums chart that month. The Graham, a new year is here. What manner of software has been foisted upon us? And so continues our Commodore 64 games journey. 1989 is here, and in this odd collection of old coffee jars filled with mixed nuts and bolts and screws of an episode, we slide sideways and shoot at everything humanly possible with our trusty Uzi 9mm in the Crab Warfare-inspired arcade sensation Operation Wolf. Scramble around a series of unrelated screens looking for any sign of a decent game in the Eggy Archura and surprise ourselves in the oddly footballer-infused, but football-less, Gary Lineker's super skills. Could you only find slotted screws when all you wanted was a single stupid posi drive? Yep. We also break some boxing rules, not that any are adhered to in any way in the game, so we can put up our dukes and get a knockout. In, by fair means or foul. Grab, squeeze and bounce our balls and swing our rackets, but slowly and do some In the treacle speed, serve and volley antagonise over the complex mining and absent strategic guff as we beat off some robot ostriches in the terrible pteropods before finally putting down the cheeses, grabbing some rockets and heading out on an all-new quiz-based space mission in Trivial Pursuit, a new beginning. Has the journey into 1989 started out on the right foot or have we stomped our massive feet into a great big dog's brown egg? There is only one way to know for sure. That one, that 
That kind. And that's what we do with uh, Thousand Crisp Packets. <laughs> oh, sorry. Hello there. <laughs> wow. I never knew you could fit them all in there. <laughs> well, it's a skill. Um, yes, 1989 is here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It is. Um, I was going to sort of give a sort of brief overview of kind of any notable events that happened in 1989. So I had a look and uh, it was quite depressing. Um, so so I, didn't, I didn't include many of them. Oh, the only okay. one I would say, though, that is quite cool... Um, but you know, with every every cloud comes a, a black lining or a dark lining, so we say. Was uh, that the uh, Berlin Wall came down in 1989? I thought well, it was that's, earlier. That's, that's probably a very positive lining. It for is many, a very positive. The only people. dark side to that sort of thing is that it uh, meant that David Hasselhoff re- reignited his recording career on the back of that. I seem to remember. Poor old David Hasselhoff. <laughs> no. Yes. No. Yes. Well, that was the reason they built the wall. <laughs> To keep him out or to keep him in. <laughs> Either. Either's good. <laughs> column A, column B. Yeah, yeah, bit you of have both, it. Yeah. No, no, no. You keep him in. We're keeping him <laughs> out. You keep the hassle, we'll have the hoff. <laughs> Ew. I bet that's his chat out line. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. Oh dear. Oh yes, that's uh, that's so that is a quite a big event, I suppose, if you It is, yeah. There was, a, there was lots of other stuff going on as well. But did um, Pink when did Pink Fall play the wall on the wall? When was that? Probably before it was demolished. Or was it after? I thought it was after. Oh, was it? Because they say tear down this wall as part of the thing, oh, don't, I don't they? Know. I wish I knew more about Pink Floyd, but I, I don't want to. Or, or the fall of the Berlin Berlin Wall. And all I know is it came down at some point. My sister was in Berlin when it when it happened. Yeah, it did, yeah. She, didn't, she wasn't her fault, but it, she was there. <laughs> she lent on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she does have a, a piece of the Berlin Wall, I believe. I'm not sure if that's an illegal thing to have. So she probably hasn't got one. No, well, let's say she hasn't. It probably yeah, isn't illegal. Hasn't. It's just a bit of rock. Is it, though? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. My brother's got a bit of the uh, the cop, which was the uh, the original cop, which was the uh, stand at Liverpool um, ah, Anfield when yes. it was torn down. And I was there when they were tearing it down, and I got a, a bit of the rock and gave it to him. Oh, that's cool. I've got some of Hadrian's Wall, and I've got some of Adrian's Wall because I went to your garden when you were <laughs> Damn away. Damn you! I wonder where that had gone. <laughs> I was like, oh, "There's a brick missing." <laughs> yeah, I've got it. And I'm going to steal. I'm going to, I'm going to steal more of them. <laughs> <laughs> just stop playing breakout on my wall <laughs> i'm trying to build a sort of brick-based barbecue like gary used to have oh yeah yeah that 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 brick-based thing at the foot of his garden yeah, yeah it worked it, it was brick-based it gary barbecue, poked a lot of sausage on there <laughs> <laughs> absolutely he did uh, he did squirt a lot of brown sauce around that area yes he did oh dear did. right anyway there we go um, just me i know so that to return to normal uh, things, we need to look at the cover, the new month. We it need is. To look at the cover. It is. We do need to look at it. And uh, it's sort of a back to a bit more sort of standard zap cover form, I see. Yeah, this, this is a bit. Is it because there was a tape on it somewhere? Well, there's that, but and but it's just a bit more kinetic y. It's a bit more, you know, it's, it's, a, you know, it's obviously two race cars doing the. Le Mans, isn't it? The 24-hour thing. Yeah, um, the game not so, reviewed in this issue. They, yeah, but that's what I mean, the back on form. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 the, uh, it's the bullseye on it. Look what you could be playing. <laughs> uh, they've also, it's also, they're, doing, they're going for full cheesy subheads again. Where Le Mans drives you wild. It's like, oh, really? Goodness me. Yeah, it's not. You could win a video recorder, courtesy of Epics. <laughs> that I reckon, because Epics going out of business at this point, aren't they? Just about. It's probably just a room clearance. Yeah. Tell you what, though, cover tape being what it is, they're giving away a copy of Parallax, and that ain't a bad thing, is it? No, that'd be quite good if you were strapped for cash at that point and you hadn't played Parallax. Yeah. That was all right, and an exclusive playable demo of Robocop. Yeah, you probably wouldn't be as happy with that, but I don't know. Um, that said, you know, we'll get to Robocop one day. We will do. So, yeah, this is January 1999. There's two cars on the front and what looks like some people at a joust in the background. <laughs> that's the uh, 
That's the the jousters, I guess. Yeah, and what what? That's uh, the people that follow the they follow they follow the cars around, don't they? With giant flags for reasons. <laughs> the flaggers, they call them. Yeah, exactly. And that's uh, that's that's not the sun. Actually, this was filmed at night. That's just a giant orange ball they have to drive around the desert. It's part of the uh, lesser known Weckleman's Orange Tour. <laughs> the desert. <laughs> yeah, well, that that looks like a desert where they're in. I know there's a track at the front, but it looks like a desert at the back. It does look like a desert at the back. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's not the was... sun. Remember, that's a, a giant orange. Mm, and this was this cover was brought to you by both Castrol and Jaguar. Oh yes, I never noticed that on the. It's got good. I like the effect on the light. I think that's very clever. Yeah, it's a nice cover. It's you know, it's mm. obviously just the everything's kind of what's impressionistic around the cars, isn't it? Not much yeah. detail in them, but it, it works yeah, pretty well. Nice. Yeah, with the sort of on that video rum- recorder rumble strips at the bottom right there. Quite nice. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It wasn't me. Um, you could also in a compiler facts. Which compilation should you buy? None of them probably. Yeah. There's not much on here, but it's an okay cover. It actually it reminds me of a the sort of birthday card you would get when from a relative <laughs> yeah. when you were about nine. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday. Happy birthday, George. It's, it's Graham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, you always say that, don't you, George? See that staircase? <laughs> Steep. There's a game for you. What's this? Lee Enfield. <sighs> there will it's be. dark in this cellar. <laughs> Just close the door. Not dark, yeah. enough. Not dark enough. There's no handle on the inside. Bye. Anyway. <laughs> let's um let's move let's on. Move on. Let's move let's on. Let's move yes. on. Cover, there we go. That's cover. the cover. Yeah. We've got games. We've got seven games this week. Seven. Seven. Seven games. So shall we get into them? I think it's time to begin the journey of nineteen eighty nine. Okay. Right. Let's get into them. Let's get into our first game. And our first game, well, it's a big one. It's Operation Wolf. Operation Wolf, indeed. It's a big arcade conversion to start the year as Operation Wolf from Ocean shoots onto our screens in all its macho, gun-toting glory. This was originally released by Tato in 1987. Tato. Potato. 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 It was very popular (laughs) indeed. From the Wikipedia about it, in Japan, Game Machine listed Operation Wolf um, in its December 1st, 1987 issue as the second most successful upright cockpit arcade cabinet of the month. Went yeah, on to become second? The, second and, uh, the Denver Broncos? <laughs> and it went on to become the second highest grossing arcade game of 1988. <laughs> Below Sega's Afterburner and Afterburner 2. That's two games, so surely it came third. You can't That's just lump three. two. Yeah, third. you can't just brand two games together and go, oh, you're, you're, one, you're one game now. Yeah, absolutely. In Europe, yeah. Operation Wolf debuted as the top grossing arcade game of October Ooh. 1987 in the United Kingdom. And again, topped the charts in December. It held the top spot through March 1988 and remained in the top five through July when it was number four in the coin slot dedicated arcade game chart. Mm. Below Street Fighter, Continental Circus and Vec Le Mans. Ooh. Operation Wolf went to become the top earning arcade game of 1988 in the United Kingdom. Cranky Bob. I know. And in the United States, Operation Wolf was one of the top five highest grossing dedicated arcade games of 1988. It was a biggie. It was a big was, arcade yeah. game. I didn't realise it was as big as that. Yeah, this was massive. It was ported to many home consoles, including the Amiga, Atari ST, Speccy, MSX, Amstrad, NES, Master System, and of course, the Commodore 64, which is the port we are looking at here. This was from Ocean. It was £9.95. It was handled by Colin Porch on code, Steve Wahid on graphics, and Jonathan Dunn on orals, sounds, music, whatever. Um, and this is some of Ocean's resident stalwarts, having worked on various games before. Um, Colin Porch has done stuff. Steve Wahid has done loads of things over time. Green Bray, all loads of them. Jonathan Dunn has done loads of sounds from. So, you know, they've given it to them. And But obviously, Operation Wolf is a big one. So how did they get on with it? And what is this Operation Wolf? all about what is this game what is it well there's not a lot of story here terrorists have kidnapped some people 
That's it. Don't they always? That's it. They've kidnapped some people. I'm not sure who, but there are five of them, and they need rescuing. In order to do this, Operation Wolf is created, and that's you, the lone gunman who is sent in to get the job done. Okay. So that's it, essentially. Someone's been kidnapped. You sent in. Get the job done. So, so far, it's so Green Beret, really. So why did this cause such a stare upon its release? Well, this is no side-scrolling affair. No, this is a first-person on-rail shooter where the enemies shoot at you directly out of the screen. Mm. You know, this is none of this this looking straight into them. So whilst many games have done this before, indeed loads of old consoles came with light guns to be used on home TVs. In fact, some some consoles in the 70s just had guns as their main main controller. We have one that did that. Yeah, very odd. So this, you know, shooting and stuff is not new. Um, Operation Wolf is the first big arcade game to marry this first-person viewpoint to a military setting, as seen in games like Commando, Green Beret, Carry Warriors, that kind of thing. So it flipped the perspective and put you in the role um, of the actual person rather than a you know first person rather than a third person. This led to a whole new level of immersive violence, as the arcade cab had a rec- replica Uzi 9mm as a controller and tasked you with staring down the barrel and shooting their enemies head-on whilst they shot back at you. This was a kind of a bit of a change. I mean, we had things like that Mad Dog McCree and things like that where you shoot stuff, but this was a whole whole new violent ball game. You know, this was uh, Uzi 9mm had probably been made popular in Terminator, I would imagine. Yes. Um, Uzi yes. 9mm. So, you know, it was, uh, it was yeah. a gun that a lot Just of people Just what you knew. see, pal. Just what you see. Just what you see. Yeah. The gun user uh, the gun also used an optical light sensor for aiming, and it also had a geared motor inside it that simulated recoil as the player fired at the enemy. So you had a very it was a very visceral and violent and loud game in the arcade. I remember this being in the arcade. It was always one you heard. Yeah, yeah. It was always yeah, very yeah. So uh, it is a loud one. It did, and it spawned four sequels, um, as well as probably hundreds of similar games. I mean, this really did kickstart the old shooting into the screen with a gun type thing, and it would lead to games like House of the Dead, I guess, Time Crisis, Virtua Cop, and all those kind of things where you were sort of blasting away into the screen and that sort of thing. So this really did did kickstart that whole um, genre off, and it, it, it sort of died a bit after more sort of freeform first-person shoots came along, like Doom and things like that, but for a period... You know, if you wanted that first-person shooting thing, this is where you kind of got it. So, yeah, so there you go. So, so it's the birth of violent first-person shooters to some degree, and here we have it ported to the humble 64, C64. So will this work? There's a lot of stuff here. I couldn't find much out about what, what tech was inside it. I know it just basically just uses Tato's own stuff. So it's not like Sega where they go, yeah, we've got all this. It, it is what it is. The game starts strongly, the C64 version, good loading screen, similar to the arcade front end, and a decent loading tune as well. Um, once into the game it's nice to see that you can control this with either the neos mouse or the joystick um if you have the mouse and you can get it to work um use that okay because we'll get to the joystick controls in a bit but yeah if you've got the mouse and you've got a real hardware or you could get the mouse controls to work on vice i couldn't then then use that because uh, i imagine that makes it quite a bit easier from here we have another decent enough tune quite simple but a simple enough high score table the game's ui on the front screen so they've i can see why they've done this they basically here's the ui it's on the front screen but you'll you'll know why because uh, this is all the good thing about this is it's all in a single load so it's quite impressive um so there's no no multi-load here it's all it's all single load um the ui itself uses the right hand side of the screen it shows you the number of bullets you've got left um and uh, how many magazines you've got uh, how many bombs you've got left uh, there's also a bar for how much damage you have taken so this sort of scrolls around it and goes up, up like a bar, and as it fills up we'll get to that 
At the bottom, there's the number of hostages left, along with icons for how many men, armored trucks, and helicopters, or you know, moving things or helicopters, or whatever, need to be taken out once into the game. So that's the UI. That won't change. That stays here forever. The only bit that changes is kind of the top left corner where all the action will take place and where the um part, you know, where all the info goes when you're sort of starting the game. Stab with the fire button gets us going, um, and we get to see the six stages we're going to fight through. These being the communication setup, the jungle, the village. The powder magazine, mm, bit of powder on your face, be nice. The concentration camp, which sounds dark. And finally, the airport getaway. Now, aside from some speech and animations, this is all very faithful to the arcade game. Screens laid out in a very similar way, kind of what we saw with um, Alien Syndrome. They've really gone to town and made sure that this actually does look and feel like the arcade version as close as they can. C64 version, obviously, it's high res in the arcade. But this is, you know, the, the layout and everything, the, the, it's pretty faithful. It's very faithful to the arcade machine. So that's good. We get some interstitial music. You get the message. You're into the communications tower. Go blow everything up and kill stuff, essentially. So once into the game, this the game sort of takes part in the sort of top left sort of three quarters of the screen. Kind of about the best thing. There's a big chunk of screen to sort of play around in. And you control a crosshair. So obviously in the arcade, you've got a gun and you fire. There's no crosshair. But here you need to see something. So you control a crosshair, which you move about either with a joystick or mouse. The screen scrolls left uh, slowly um, in the opening level from the right to the left. But in subsequent levels, it can go left to right. It just depends on the level. So... On from left and right side of the screen, enemies run on and they stop and they shoot at you. And it's your job to line up the crosshair and shoot them, obviously, before they shoot you. If they shoot you, then your damage bar starts to fill up. And if that fills up completely, then it is game over. You only have one life, or they do have a continue. But yeah, so you know you need to keep that damage bar down. They don't just come in running in. They also parachute from the skies. They roll on from the side and pop up. They pop up from behind obstacles. They uh, shoot you from windows in the buildings in the background they are numerous and they are everywhere and there's a lot of them and they're quite fast so there's a lot of shooting and the, you know it's quite quite a lot going on here they sort of come in different ways different points well you get guys that sort of slide on and sort of right, right close up to the screen you've got mid ground and you've got far ground so it's hard to shoot the ones far ground because they're small targets and you know this, this is how it works kind of you've got about three or four layers of where they'll kind of come on alongside these so you've got armored cars that kind of roll on um you know shooting at you you've also got gunboats that float down the rivers when you're in the river level and you've got enemy helicopters as well that sort of fly on and they will try to blow you up as well and you have to shoot them or fire your bombs at them to take them out the objective here is to shoot as many of the various forms of enemies be that humans cars boats helicopters whatever as are indicated on the icons at the bottom of the screen get them all down to zero then you have completed the level and you move on to the next one where the challenge ramps up as expected you get a little bit of a, a health boost um when you move on not a full health boost but a little bit um which is helpful yeah you're not without some help though as you progress because there's various power-ups that litter the floor and if you shoot these they can offer uh, some respite you only start the game with a limited number of magazines so you can't just keep firing you've got to take your shots carefully i think you start with nine i can't remember how many bullets are in each magazine but once you're out you're out and then it takes a while for one bullet to suddenly appear and you've got to try and wait for a magazine to come in so you know if you run out you're dead it's as simple as that. So you've got to be careful. So yeah, um, if you get extra magazines. Similarly, you can fire rockets uh, with a tap of the space bar. So this control the joystick, fire, shoots your gun, and tap of the space bar, fires any rockets. It's like a rocket grenade, I think. Um, I don't know whether it's a hand grenade or a rocket grenade or whatever it is, but it's something. It's, a, it's an explosive that can take down the big planes and stuff or helicopters and stuff in one hit or lots of people but you've only got a very limited amount of them but you can pick up extras of those they'll float along the bottom as well if you shoot them then they sort of you know you can get extras of them there are also auto fire pickups that's quite useful that allows you a short burst of auto fire where you don't have to worry about your bullets going down and that's great for taking out 
lots of enemies in one go without having to worry about ammo. So you can really go to town and you can take out helicopters and things like that. You can shoot down helicopters in the armored cars with your gun, but it takes more bullets, obviously, um, and you don't have many of them. Finally, there are also health pickups, which if you shoot them a little P sign, they'll regain some of your health. There's also, finally, dynamite that goes across the bottom, which acts as a smart bomb when shot, destroying everything on screen. Handy, handy thing. In all fairness, they've managed to keep most things from the arcade here that they could do. Um, and it's all in one load, which is quite the achievement, all being told, I think. The visuals are pretty fast and effective, and they're a little chunky. You know, they're a little chunky. They're sort of Steve Wahid chunky. The various soldiers and cars and helicopters, they're, they're well drawn and animated. They're okay. They're, they're absolutely, under, you know, you can see what they are. I quite like the helicopters. The sound in games is a little sparse. There's no music, but just lots of shooting sound, lots of various bullet sounds, explosions, and sort of uh, when you shoot stuff, when you screams, when you shoot stuff. And there's warnings when low on health. Um, you know, it starts to go whoop, whoop, when you're low on health and gets faster as you get nearer to death. So that gives you a decent, that does a good job of warning you that you're low on health. So I like that. And it's not too irritating. I think, you know, all around, visually, orally, this is okay. It's fine. You know, it's a good approximation of the arcade. It's pretty fast. Um, the sprites run around quite fast. Your joystick aiming is fast. But the main issue here is that it's the difficulty when using the joystick. Um, I couldn't get the mouse to work using an emulator, so I was stuck with the joystick control. And the speed at which everything runs, we talk about treacle speed a lot of the time, but this actually runs pretty fast. So, And the annoying tendency for short soldiers to stop just before they reach your crosshair. You'll kind of put your crosshair just where you think they've got to run into, but they kind of know and they kind of stop just before it. You're like, ah! You have to try and sort of aim, but they've already got a shot off at you. The digital nature of the aiming, which they have tried to sort of company for, so the more you move the joystick, the faster it, the aiming goes, but it's a bit of a pain and it doesn't, you know, it's hard to sort of get around what is essentially a light gun game. It hampers it. It's not terrible, but it does, you know, it, it's just a bit of a pain. I did get to level two. That's where I got to. I think, which is something. It's very hard, this game. Um, and you kind of get used to the controls and the speed at which it moves as you play more. But it's like we said with a lot of these games, that transposing some kind of analog aiming to a digital input is always going to be a tricky thing to do. And although they've yeah they've done a decent job here, it still feels like you're fighting the control rather than the game, which is a bit annoying. And I also found that that coupled with the... I thought the collision detection wasn't that forgiving. If you're going to make it in the crosshair, then let me... Anywhere over the crosshair is touching them should be killing them. Um, but you've got to kind of have the crosshair dead center on them, I found, to sort of take them out. Quite often I was shooting them with the crosshair just sort of on the edge sort of thing, and it wasn't shooting. And I was like, give me a break. Give me a break with this. I think that could have been a... It's hard enough as it is, but it is what it is. So this it really does make it a very difficult game to play on the C64 for that reason. Still, what is here, I thought, considering you know scope and scale and the thing of this arcade, I thought it was pretty impressive. I came away from this, I thought this was okay overall. I thought it was pretty good. I'm not sure what they could have done to improve this on the system. Like I said, the only thing I, well, the only thing I could think of was give you a bit more leeway and forgiveness in the aiming and the crosshair. As long as the crosshair was touching something, just let me shoot it because it's hard enough as it is. Yeah, so it's hampered by the control steam for sure, but still impressive in what they managed to pack into a single load on the machine. And, you know, at its heart, it does feel like Operation Wolf in as much as an aging 8-bit machine could do so. I think they've done a pretty decent job here. I was looking at some of the other versions. The Amstrad version lacks all the sort of near-ground stuff. It's a bit more colourful, but it lacks any kind of near-ground stuff, and it runs lo loads faster, weirdly, the Amstrad version, almost unplayably so. Uh, the Spectrum version was probably the best, not worth mentioning. Uh, but I quite enjoyed my time with this. I wasn't sure what to expect. I didn't really remember playing it much. But yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was all right. And it's just that control system just could have been a bit more forgiving. What about you? What did you think? I never liked the arcade. No? Operation Wolf. No, never liked it. I thought it was rubbish. Never liked the whole Uzi light gun shooting thing. Never appealed to me ever. Never has. I never got far when I played it anyway, and I always found the arcade to be quite a pricey one at the time. Mm, I think it was 50p, wasn't it? Yeah, it was at the time that was a lot. 
Yeah, it was. The home version for the C64 is pretty much exactly as you imagine a conversion of this to an 8-bit format would be. The graphics, I suppose in context, are okay. Look suitably military and there's plenty going on. Sprites, chunky and flicky, but they work and they're quite fast. So things are flying around a bit. Playability, well, that depends on how forgiving you are about the limitation of a joystick control crosshair, doesn't it? Yeah. I am not yeah. forgiving. I don't like the format of the game or the way it plays at all at being a rail on rail shooter when it's not really. It's just a sprite pop-out. Even the old West Bank game we played had a better handle on pop-out shooting than that. And we've seen it before, this kind of thing. Even Platoon had a variation of this. And it actually worked better in Platoon in both the tunnels and in the other sequences. It's still problematic, but those sequences were slightly better. So we've kind of seen it done before. I suppose it's the crosshair zooming thing like you said. I don't know. You either put it with it or you don't. If you're gonna if you want to play a home version of Operation Wolf on the C sixty four and you haven't got a mouse, which I don't many imagine many people would have had, then this is the best you're gonna get. I just don't know. I didn't find it a lot of fun, but I'm guessing some people did. Uh sounds were alright. Music was stirring enough, I suppose. Um all of the game level sounds are okay. All of the game is there apparently. Um but mm. it's a lot of the same thing repeatedly. I don't get how it's entertaining to ninety one percent. I think the review is very generous without the machine gun element especially but i suppose mm. like i say it's the best you're going to get i know that you could use a mouse for it like i said the uh, i don't know what type i never got that working but i imagine with that maybe it gives it extra dimension i don't know but other than that for me it's just a pretty dull shooting game and really what is it it's a bit of an extension of the old arcade carnival isn't it really at its heart oh yeah yeah or duck hunt or anything like yeah, that. yeah and yeah. they know they never butter my buns those games so <laughs> Not for me, this. I remember the big brouhaha, though. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't move for seeing the Operation Wolf advert. They were, yeah. they saturated it. It was everywhere. Big release. This, it was a big old thing, but nah, I never liked it when it came out. So not not for me, but probably for somebody. Probably for somebody. Probably for somebody. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, yeah, as, as conversions go, it is... It's probably one of the better ones we've seen recently, and uh, but yeah. well, it's not saying a lot, but it's but it's certainly as it's what I expected it to be. It's yeah. better than the current conversions we've seen of some of the Sega stuff. So yeah, exactly. So I think I think it's it's a. Di- I, I mean, if you don't like the original source material, then there's a, C- a lesser version me. of it is not going to is not going to appeal, is it? Yeah, so. Not for me, that kind of thing. No. Fair enough. Um, but there you go. That's Operation Wolf, our first game of 1989. Let's see if it continues in such a way. <laughs> I say it every time. Graham, you got the next one. You got Artura. Tell us all about Artura. Now, let me tell you, somebody swallowed the gibberish book when they wrote the (laughs) bullshit game instructions (laughs) for this. This is from uh, Gremlin, apparently. Copyright Mm. Sentient. According to the uh, developer with Sentient Software, coded by Mark Kirkby. Graphics are by Glenn Savage. And the musician was good old Ben Daggy Daggy Daglish. Um, mm-hmm. I'll go through the, the little story blurb because I think it's hilarious and it needs to be said. Just have to forgive me for some of the tongue twisters in it. Look back through the dark mirror of the seasons to the time when the Eagles deserted this land of Albion. <laughs> I always thought the, the Eagles would stick around. They're a good band. Um, still going. To the ravaging of the Saxons. Look back to an age of bloody war and the mysterious magicies or the magicies magics magics well it's spelled magic with a k-e-s at the end i don't know what there's a lot of that with this yes you are artura son of pendragon under your leadership as ard rai <laughs> what does sake. that even mean I, I don't want to know to do this you need to find the sacred treasures of albion hidden when the eagles came <laughs> Found them eagles. <laughs> They're probably have you looked in the Hotel California? Honestly, only Murdin knows where. Who? Um Murdin. M E R D Y N. Murdin. Not Merlin. No, not Merlin. No, we're not, we're not infringing anyone's IP here. <laughs> They've got Merlin. We've got Murdin. 
He, he's got the glow, he's got the glowy wand. <laughs> we've got the we've got the sparkly staff. <laughs> Bullies vanished, Adrian. Mer- Merdin's vanished. Oh. Your only clue is that Morgouse, your evil half sister, <laughs> no. not Morgana, <laughs> not Morgana. <laughs> no, Morgouse. I don't think there's any IP on King Ar- on King Arthur. Is there? It's, it's a myth. Exactly. Well, who knows? But anyway, Morgouse. Your evil half-sister has kidnapped Naimu, Murdin's apprentice. You hope you're keeping up with these names. <laughs> Naimu? <laughs> Naimu. <laughs> you must find Naimu and rescue her to travel to Morgaus' stronghold. You must use the mystical wheel of Keridwen. <laughs> or Ke- Keridwen. Let's say Keridwen. It sounds a bit nicer. Keridwen. You must then fight your way through Morgaus' dune. I guess that it says done. Done to seek. I don't know what that means. To seek out Naimu by finding and using the rune stones stolen by Morgaus. You can travel once again on Keridwen's Kerid- wheel. Only by finding all the runes can you hope to return to Camelod. That's that's Cam- C-A-M-E-L-O-D. Not Camelot. Camelod. For God's sake. <laughs> the place, Albion. Isn't Albion the name of the world in um, that Xbox? Fable. Famous Xbox. Fable. Yeah. The place, yeah. Albion. Now the British Isles. Okay. The time, the 5th century AD. In this epic quest, you play the part of Achora, an idealistic British warlord intent on unifying the warring petty kingdoms of Britain. I feel like we've had a jump and I can't explain why. <laughs> What's happened? Where's Naimu? His, advi- his advisor and friend, Murdin the Mage, has vanished. Foul play Ooh. is suspected. This is like the story started again. Murdin's knowledge is vital to Achora's dream of unifying Britain. The only way the chieftains of the warring tribes... What warring tribes? I feel like we've jumped a time warp here. Would accept a high king would be if the lost treasures of Albion were in his possession. You have received news that your half-sister Morgaus has kidnapped Murdin's apprentice. I thought we'd been through this. Naimu, this of course has made you very suspicious of Morgaus's intentions towards Britain. You decide to travel to Morgaus's dune to rescue Naimu. This must be like, a, I don't know what this is. Maybe it's a repeat of the story in a different way. I don't know. Anyway, using the last vestiges of magic available to you, this means that you can get there, but not return unless you find the runes that Morgaus has. I don't know why that is happening. <laughs> it's not really, it doesn't really matter, no, actually. A load of game story waffle can't save this from being a shitty piece of crap. Because it because <laughs> that's what it is. 10% with the shitty crap. Don't hold back. <laughs> High-res sprites that are not totally badly realized in isolation, mm-hmm. but which blend with the backgrounds and shuffle more than animate around on a grey <laughs> an uninspired background of bricks and weird doorways looking for what looks like ticket stubs. You will fire or spill axes as you wander around with bitty nondescript sprites <laughs> and somewhat effervescent and suitable barbarianish music by Bendai Glish while you're on the uh, quest for ticket stubs. It's soul-destroying, this game. Soul-destroying guff. The controls see you move, walk your sprite around left to right with northeast and northwest on the joystick for jump and east west left to right and fire for axe spillage you can enter doorways by pushing up or down such as they are doorways at the right time akin to that fire lord idea that's the way they did it only not in the same ballpark and don't associate those two games together at all ever again no uh, the game window is the uh, in the upper part the bottom is the ui with the ticket stub info and score music here well ben was having an off day let's just put it that way a weird cacophony drones away along with your life as you meander around looking for items and being attacked by enemies all over the shop killing things sees them explode in a shower of badly drawn and horrifically clashing character graphics that have no place in something like this or in any game for the rest of time this is a truly horrible thing gremlin should never have been allowed to let this emerge from its c64 rusty sheriff's badge it's a dirty horrible turd of a game (laughs) 
I will not think about it a moment longer. There's no <laughs> redeeming factors for this. It is crap. But you might have liked it, maybe, Lee. Maybe the fantasy no. elements. <laughs> no, I didn't. Good Christ on a bike, no. What a horrible mess this is. A Awful. horrible mishmash of visuals and controls that make Jet Set Willy blush. Um, I get I get what they were aiming for here. I, can, I think they were aiming for something like that black lamp, that sort of thing. Well, it's good. They certainly got something. Well, yeah, you know, they, they got a black something, yeah, I guess. And the music by... I, I actually didn't. The music by Dag Leash was okay. It was it was all right. It was barbarian-y, but yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, it was okay. And the, and like you said, the main the main and the enemy sort of human sprites are quite quite well drawn. Yes, yes, in, in, in isolation, in isolation, and not in and of themselves. But everything else is just terrible. No. What are those brown things? I uh, I think you know what they are. You've answered your own question. <laughs> What's with this overall plot? What is actually going on? Why can no. I get trapped and die at the end of the first level part if you fall down that bit? Yeah. It's just, you're just dead. Like, you can't you know jump why? out. I tell you, you know why that is? Because they didn't finish that bit. Yeah, true. Why do doors, <laughs> why do doors only have one side? <laughs> that really, I'm afraid, I went through it and I was like, where am I? Oh, in a door. The one-sided doors sound like a bad covers band. <laughs> it's not a texture. It's not a texture on one side of a polygon. It's a sprite. Not it's anymore. background character graphics. They found a way. They found a way to give one side of a door. Terrible. Oh, just rubbish. This game troubled me. It's clearly not finished. It's clearly not finished. It can't be finished. And it's another no. gremlin egg of purest brown. Yes, the beginning of the grem eggs. The Gregs. <laughs> yeah, this was dreadful. Christ. Yeah. It's not this good. Is, uh, this is quite the start of the year. It's, I know, straight in with a 10 percenter. <laughs> goodness me yeah, right away 91 and a 10 percent you know yeah up and a down that is i mean that's like roller coaster territory isn't it it really is christ that game was bad artura stupid stupid plot stupid thing plot makes no sense there's no copyright on the myth of you know theory and myth well it wouldn't have i don't know why it's called artura why is it i suppose that's the guy in it but why did he jump from... Where did he go to Britain? I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. What's it got to do with uh, Camelot? Cap, sorry, Camelot. 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 <laughs> Let's not go there. It is a silly place. <laughs> it's, it's not even Camelot. Stupid. Oh, it's just garbage. This game yes. is awful. Our turder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> Our turd. We're oh, starting yeah. 99 off with a lot of turdy shit references. I apologise for people who are... Scatologically offended. Yeah, you get offended <laughs> by that. But what I would say to you is go and play Artura and then tell me how you feel about that. Absolutely. See if you can tell me what those brown things are that are scurrying about that you managed to kill by <laughs> spilling an axe on them. You do. You just fumbles axe. There's a few of them, though. They're, they're, they're in Savage. They just they didn't so much shoot things as got fumble around, like badly juggle things at people. <laughs> <laughs> There's no one played Ghost and Goblins. That, that that throws them. And why? Why do they have so many? Just <laughs> where are I they mean, keeping what, them? Uh, ex- well, exactly. <laughs> just one axe would have been. You know, it seems to be the thing, doesn't it? They've got to have more multiple weapons. One axe is fine. You know, swinging one axe, it worked in Rastanish. It did. And if you think to go back to Green Beret, she's got a knife. One knife. Exactly. Not throwing his knife at people. He's running up and oh, stabbing s- them. Juggling with it. No. Yeah. Uh, egg. Purest brown egg. Yep. Yeah, here we God. go. Artura. Crap. Let's move on. Gremlin, you can do better than that. Show us. Show us. <laughs> well, yeah. Show us how you can do better. And they try to here in Gary Lineker's super skills. This was another full price. That Artura was nine ninety nine as well. Full price. I I, full I, I, price. I didn't even get to the stupid price. Full price dog egg. Um, this is another £9.99 game. This is Gary Lineker's Super Skills. 
Jeez. So here he is, Mr. Lineker, in his second outfit, outing for the uh, for the Commodore 64. It's Mr. Walker's Chris himself, Gary Lineker, and he's here to pump you up in all his new super skills game. Yes, he is. This is from Gremlin Graphics, and it's £10, another £10. You could buy a lot of Chris for that, especially back in 1989. Could. Yeah, imagine. Um, this was developed by, which I think, uh, a lot of crisps is what the guy on the, the loading screen for this has eaten. Because <laughs> he's uh he's he's packed into that white shirt <laughs> in the lady's screen. He's packed in there. He's like he he's like trying to control that medicine ball. Going, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit humpy. Is it <laughs> humpy dumpy? Um, <laughs> this was developed by Wise Owl Software, which means it was coded by Arthur Mudd, graphics by the team, and has music by Ben Daglish. Mm, Weird concoction of stuff. So anyway, in the last game, we wondered where Gary Lineker had got to. He didn't actually appear in it in any shape or form. Um, as then his, his name had been stuck on that American game of soccer, that American one we found. That's right. That's right. Um, and there was no trace of the man himself in the game. Well, all that's changed now as Gary is front and centre here. And <laughs> we ready found him. Sh- <laughs> we found him and we made him work. Um, <laughs> and he's ready to show off his various skills that he's well known for, such as squat thrusts, press-ups, Weightlifting, monkey bars. <laughs> yes, all the ones you remember, Gary Lineker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, after that. Oh, well, you get to do some keepy-uppy, some penalties, and a bit of dribbling. Football? Ugh. Game of? Nah, none of that here. This is super skills. Super skills. Gary's super skills. Mm, no need for football in this game about a footballer who's famous for playing football. Yeah, he won the golden <laughs> boot, didn't he? goals. He did win the golden boot for the 1986 World Cup, yeah. He got yeah. scored six goals. Yeah, I think they'd have thought of that. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, this is a training game where you train for very little. So. <laughs> for no when reason. Ga- <laughs> yep. When the game starts, you can play with up to four players. You can input all your names and you can select the difficulty level for each one. It's quite a nice touch. You can have different difficulty levels for each player, so that's all right. The first part of the game takes place in a gym. It could be Gary's gym. I don't know. Who can tell? It's May as well gym. be. could be anyone's gym. I think it's um, Yellow's gym. <laughs> What? So, so what's his face? Is Dieter Myers? <laughs> yeah, it's Coldplay's gym. It's oh, all it's yellow. It's all yellow. <laughs> On the left of the screen, we've got some UI. Uh, there's a couple of timers marked by E, which is the event timer, and T, which is the total time left. Should T reach zero, then it's game over. Underneath this are a couple of bars, which measure Gary's pulse and energy. Mm. At the bottom, there's a football boot with Gary Lineker on it, <laughs> reminding you that this is about a footballer. Yes, may as well. <laughs> Despite the fact there's no football in it. Next to this is a bottle, then the number of reps you have to do for the current event, then your name, and finally your score. First up are the press-ups. So the, the action all takes place in the top right uh, window, which sees you in the gym. Reminded me of that Jeff Capes game. Very much so, yeah. Totally like I'm it. Honest, um, in kind of presentation, everything. Um, yep. So our Gary is seen in press-up position, so from the side, and you must hold down to bring his nose to the floor, then waggle left and right to bring him back up, and you got to do 10 of those. Okay, Do 10 of those, and you're up to the monkey bars. Pressing fire jumps a rather chunky Gary onto the bars. A, it's a bit. It's a bit. Um, yeah, he's, he's been on the crisps, hasn't he? Um, been on the crisps. He's been. He's, he's clearly <laughs> descended from a bloody orangutan. His arms are too long, for God's sake. Who drew that? <laughs> I don't want me. And here he swings back and forth, and he must press up at the right time to make him grab the next one, which was tricky at first, but it's actually dead simple. You press up in the middle just before you're about to go to the forward swing. So if you have a count, when you do, you go sort of back in the middle. Count one, then push up. You'll get it right every time. Yeah. It's quite easy. Get across these and you're onto the squat thrusts. Here, you press fire 
and pull left or right depending on whether you are pushing your knees out or pulling them in. So, you know, squat, thrust, back, pull. So as soon as you get to the out position, you press fire, then you pull to the right, press fire, pull left, do, 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 do you do that. So you've got to do that. So what you got to do, you've got to do 50 of them, and then finally you get to the weightlifting. Here you've got to waggle up and down to move the bar up to the top, to top of the lift, then you press fire to reverse and waggle your way down, and then press fire when you're at the bottom and waggle your way back up again. You've got to do four of them. That's it. Throughout all this, you must keep an eye on Gary's pulse and energy. You can take a rest at any time by pressing R, which will lower Gary's pulse, or you can take a drink by pressing D, which will give him energy. Obviously, you can't. You've only got so much in the bottle, so you've got to be careful. Amusingly, doing this will be accompanied by the text, Gary resting, which made me laugh loads, or Gary drinking, <laughs> which made me laugh due to the lack of the word is in between yes. them. Just says Gary resting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's Mongo, isn't it? Mongo like candy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, Gary rested. And also made me think of our friend as well. If you do not take a drink or have a rest, then Gary will get dangerously out of breath. Gary tired. <laughs> oh, Gary low on energy. <laughs> <laughs> Gary breathing hard. <laughs> and your trainer will step in and force you to rest or take a drink. And these will take more time than had you done it yourself. So be warned. Why? <laughs> Because so, if you if you don't rest, because obviously you lose time. If you time yeah, no, but why serious. does it take you longer to drink when you're being told how to do it? Because <laughs> you're out of breath. You know, everything defeats the longer. purpose of coaching. <laughs> True. Have a drink. I'm all right, coach. Have a drink. <laughs> I, 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 how do you get the cup to your mouth? Like, I can't do it. <laughs> I've forgotten. Gary confused. <laughs> <laughs> Gary broken. <laughs> Gary know not what do. <laughs> Oh, dear. Anyway. Come on, Gary. You've got goals to score when you finish here. <laughs> Gary footballer. <laughs> you are. Now. Yes, Gary. Well done. <laughs> well done, Gary. Now, let's get some more of these press-ups done before we take you back home. <laughs> Gary press-up? Yes, Gary. You press-up. Yes. Yes. No, Gary Lynn. Never mind that. Okay, yeah. Gary press-up. Off you go, then. <laughs> no idea. Anyway. <laughs> Doing these gets you a score. And it was at this point, that uh, any version of the game I tried, yeah, I couldn't get further. It just wouldn't work. And they just kept crashing beyond this. So I never got to try out the closest thing this football game has to football, which mm. is kind of annoying. I did watch it on YouTube. It didn't look very good. Um, the guy on YouTube was like, terrible at it. So I don't know. Uh, irrespective, this is a badly, badly misjudged product. Yes, don't it pick is. someone famous for football and scoring goals and playing for England and make them do stuff in a gym. Just no. don't. If Daley Thompson's Olympic challenge had just been him in a gym, then it would have been rubbish. But it wasn't. You know, it started in a gym mm. and then went out. The training sets you up for the events. If this had been tied to a game of football and maybe how well you did in the gym made you better on the pitch, it would have felt worthwhile. You could have sort of, okay, so I trained hard and I've, I can now got more stamina and I'm better at controlling and yada, yada, whatever sort of thing. But it doesn't. So it all feels really pointless. The visuals, mm -hmm. you know, the, the actual sprite on, on Gary for the press-ups and the squats for us is actually okay. However, they've used coloured the sprites in with what look like character blocks by the look of it. So they go outside the mm -hmm. lines, which is odd, which is really weird considering he's the only moving thing on screen. So it's, they've Don't got ask. eight sprites to play with. They could have coloured them in. Don't ask. <sighs> the music just seems to stop at one point and start again after a couple of minutes. It doesn't flow. It just goes to... It's like, yep. what's going on here? It all seems very half-arsed and utterly without merit. Um, even as a multiplayer game where you'd be better off served playing something like Summer Games 1, 2, World Games, Activision Decathlon, so on and so on and so on. Gary not understand this. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> Gary not like. No. So I think he did. what about you? Did you did you uh, like this? No, goodness me. <laughs> no. Another bloody 
skid mark on the C64 <laughs> toilet from Gremlin. Greg. They've just come along, done a really smelly, dirty shit in the toilet, and it won't flush. And this is it. This is what they left. It's rubbish. I mean, it loaded alarmingly fast. I'll give it credit where credit's due. It loaded quick. And then that crappy title screen appeared. It looked like the logo had been drawn by a six-year-old yeah. you know, with his first pixel paint tool. <laughs> Me draw Gremlin. You did good, Gary. Well done. <laughs> Gary draw. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not. I'm not sure that the game was fully working anyway, because I had sort of weird issues with it. I don't know whether it just maybe read my reaction as as the very first thing that Gary Linker did was just collapse to the floor and not get up. <laughs> it's like I the thought, Transformers yeah. in that picture in that, yeah, that Transformers just, game. He's just laying on the floor crying. It, it, was, <laughs> he was, it was in that position, ready to do the press up, and he just, he just went. Uh. I, I couldn't do anything then. He wouldn't get up. He wouldn't move. So I thought, is it crashed? So then I tried a different one. Same thing happened. Anyway, I figured it out in the end just by moving things around and getting things moving. I managed to get not much further, though, I have to say. I got to the monkey bars bit, and then I was laughing at the, the elongated <laughs> arms. But, you know, but you all went a bit Dick Jones in Robocop, didn't he, when he fell out the window? Was like, so. um, the game just looked crappy and lame anyway. I didn't get much further into it. I looked on YouTube. They clearly also had trouble with it. It just rubbish. So yellow and brown. Maybe a, maybe that's Gary Lineker. Maybe, but I'm not sure, so sure it's Gary Lineker. It's, it's, it's maybe Gary Lineker. Very similar to Gary Lineker. It's his um, you know, it's cousin or something or somebody looks like, like a bit like when Bruce Lee died and they replaced him with all the different Bruces. Bruce Lee. I know Gary Bruce Lineker Lye. didn't die, but they just replaced him with Gary Lineker, who was probably a very famous gym enthusiast. Or all his and brothers, like, Barry, Larry. <laughs> anyway, Harry. I'm not sure what super skills Gary <laughs> Lineker possesses, but I'm reasonably sure that this game is not doing him any favours by explaining them with, Gary lose drink, what me do. <laughs> And it's like it's like a simple Gary version resting. of it. Gary resting. Gary resting. Gary drink. Can you press the press D as well? It's like not. It's like what? It's just stupid. Um, so I don't think Gary Lineker had anything to do with this other than his name to it. And when he saw this, he was like, "So when the real game comes out, what's it going to look like?" And they were like, "This is it." And he's like, "Oh shit." <laughs> Gary not impressed. <laughs> yeah. That's what that's what turned him that way. He goes, um, he gets like uh, simplified, like he does in uh, Fame Things Without, without a face. face. Yeah, he just goes, oh, 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 oh. Gary simplified. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. oh, bless him. Oh dear. Anyway, no, I hated it. It's rubbish. Ten quid, fifty nine percent. They gave it the Zap Drone. So how do they? How dare they? It's rubbish. Yeah, I think yeah. Gary Lineker hates it. So does Gary Lineker. He's he's like I say, he's uh, he's non union equivalent. <laughs> Mexican version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so rubbish, get lost. I mean, poor old Gary Lineker, you know, Gary Lineker, they're not doing him, but maybe it's revenge for that crappy game of his mates that will be brought out that other one, didn't they? Oh, What's yeah, Peter name? Beardsley. Peter Beardsley, yeah. So maybe this is Peter Beardsley. He's actually coded this. He put it together as revenge. <laughs> Gary unhappy. And make sure you make Gary out to be a bloody simpleton because he is. <laughs> All right, Peter. Jeez, control He's got yourself, arms mate. like an orangutan. Yes. <laughs> they rang up and asked him, we need a bit of info about Gary. What's he like? Oh, you can hardly speak when you're talking to me. <laughs> put two words together and his arms are way too long. Okay, well, we'll put that in the game. It's weird, but okay. Thanks. Thanks, thanks there. Thanks, thanks. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Peter. <laughs> My yeah, revenge so, is yeah. complete. Yeah, yeah, yeah imagine the, the conversation you put the phone down. Yeah, it turns out he's got really long arms and he's stupid. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the is out. So we yeah, save a couple of bites. We'll save a couple of bites. <laughs> Gary that'll resting. Do <laughs> that'll do it. That's why it loads so quick. It removes all of the small words. <laughs> anyway, yeah, rubbish. No, 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 no. Rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. Rubbish. Yeah. What a terrible, terrible thing. 1989 has begun. 
with uh, <laughs> Operation Wolf shooting at things, and then it's just descended very quickly down the toilet. Someone flushed, flushed, and these things haven't gone away. They're just floating around, <laughs> bobbing. It's a poo that won't flush. Nobody likes them. No, it's a gremlin egg. Can't get rid of them. It is. It's a Greg, a double oh. Gregor. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to think about that. No. Oh, Gary, unhappy. Um, <laughs> right, we're going to take a quick break. That's our first three games. We have four coming up later on. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back after that. We're going to look at uh, music, uh, singles and albums from January yeah. 1989. So uh, uh, be back soon. <laughs> Gary, tired. Gary, for God's sake, it's, you've just woke up. It's 8 a.m. <laughs> See you in a bit. <laughs> And we are back. We're back for music in January 1989. We've got singles and albums to get through because this is just a two-episode month. So let us crack on. Number one singles, the first three weeks, especially for you, Graham. It's especially for you. Especially for you. Yeah. I'm going to do the things I really thought I'd do. (laughs) No. Don't sing it at me. <laughs> I'm not sure um, that's the words. It probably isn't. But um, I was reading around this and supposedly, I don't believe this, I think this is apocryphal, but this was never going to happen. They were like, we're not going to make the record. We're not going to do it. You know, Stock Aitken and Walkman, who who were well known for turning down their <laughs> easy cash. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Go, no, we're not going to do it. It's too trite. It's not us. It's too mass market. No, it's too, it's too obvious. Until Woolworths put in an order for 250,000 copies of a record that supposedly didn't exist and, met and forced them to do it. God, it smells like Pete Waterman's ass cheeks. Yeah, well, yes, that's what I think as well. Would you do it for Woolworths? Imagine Pete Waterman. <laughs> Woolworths, that's all you had to say. <laughs> <laughs> not Boots, not DeRay Smiths. <laughs> Woolworths. Woolworths? <laughs> Woolworths. 250,000 units from Woolworths. Right, get the presses going. Get that recording studio switched on. We're going in. Minogue, Donovan, get in here. <laughs> Sing together now. Make a song up in. You've got two minutes. All right, we'll do something. Since it's you, especially for you. Excellent. Great start, Jason. Like, right, where are you going with that? Maybe we can get Gary Lilica involved. Me no sing. Oh, sorry, Gary. All right. Especially you. <laughs> No, Gary, especially for you. Especially you. Look, I'll tell you what we'll do. Record him and then we'll just we'll tell him it's in it and then you know we won't use it. Oh dear. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway. <laughs> Good old Gary Lanaker. Good old Gary Lanaker. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway, we've talked we talked we've talked about this before anyway. Let's move. Yeah, I can't move say on. anything more about it. No. Um last two weeks of the month, something's gotten hold of my heart was at mm. number one featuring Gene Pitney and Mark Almond. Yes. Um, remember it being remember coming out and everyone going, Who the hell's Gene Pitney? I, uh, yeah, I didn't know, but he was the original singer of this, wasn't he? He sang yeah, the, he did, one, yeah, the original he did. version of this. This was originally recorded by David and Jonathan and then Gene Pitney, so not the original, but in 1967. The latter's version of the song reached number five in the UK singles chart in December 1967. Um, but it, when it was reco- when this version was when it was covered uh, with Mark Holman, it got to number one. There you go. Yeah, good song. Good song. Weird. Something's gotta... It's all wobbly, doesn't he? It's, um, it, yeah, very much so. There's a very famous cock-up of Gene Pitney's when he was on This Morning, meant to be singing live. And they go, and it's Gene Pitney singing his latest song. And then they walk away and the song starts and he's singing. He's just stood there with the mic, not moving his lips. It's like, you're meant to be singing that. It's quite Gene. funny. It's famous. It's on all the sort of, you know, famous TV moment goofs, you know. Oh Gene singing? Yes, Gene. <laughs> Gene, sing. Me sing. Oh, God. <laughs> we have to stop this. Um... <laughs> 
uh, number one albums. Now, that's what I call Music 13 was uh, week one. Hanging around. It's never going to yeah. go. They don't go away easily, do they? No. Like, just go away the following week because it was the, uh, for one week, was the Innocence by Erasure. Yeah. The third mm. studio album, it was released uh, earlier, you know, 10th of April 1988. So it came out ages ago, but now it's gone to number one. Wow. And it was the release that made Erasure superstars in their home country, the UK, and gave them their breakthrough in the US, this album. So whatever was on that. Little respect, probably, isn't it? Aye. It's on, it's on that album, I believe, because we covered that recently. Um, for the final three weeks of the month, the legendary Roy Orbison by Roy Orbison. Aye. Um, it's the greatest hits. I think it's pushed. Yeah, it got to number one. It was posthumous number one because he died, hadn't he? Yeah, he died. So it suddenly became very, very popular for a while. Yeah, everyone said, oh, I always liked Roy Orbison. Yeah. I always thought he was like way, like the songs he sang were way older than they actually are. So me completely yeah i did it yeah i did as well but anyway there's a weird uh, timeless quality to them i think they do sound quite 60s ish yeah i know that's what i thought but they weren't no they were not uh, there we go so back over to the singles are sponsored by hank marvin marvin <laughs> marvin if you want to know what's going on graham has decided to paste pictures of hank marvin all over the agenda because he reappears he does reappear he makes a it's a hank back he comes back in hank form <laughs> there's a tiny hank on every page. Uh, in at number 25 on the 1st of January is All She Wants Is by Duran Duran. Oh, goodness. Terrible. Mm, yeah. All he wants is a new jacket and haircut. Bloody hell. That pink thing he was wearing. Well, it's weird because at the beginning, there's the three of them and two of them, either side of Simon Le Bon, quite stylish, quite new romantic-esque, but stylish. In the middle, something's gone wrong with Simon Le Bon. <laughs> yeah, it already has. He's just, he's just, he's dressed in pink. His hair's exploded. He's all gone wrong. Nobody told him. Nobody told him. Terrible. Nobody. It reminded me of a, some sort of mishmash of Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer and Out of Noise. Yeah, it's, there's that style, isn't it? It's certainly got that footprint, mm. without a doubt. Yeah, but... Unfortunately, it wasn't a heavy enough footprint to shatter the recording. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, in at number 29 is She Drives Me Crazy by Fine Young Cannibals. Good old honker is back. We haven't seen him for a while, have we? We have not. Roland, Roland Giff. Giff. Roland Giff. Yeah. yeah, no, he's or not. Or is he Roland JPEG? We don't know. He could have changed. <laughs> Roland Ping. <laughs> Don't know. Was it GIF? Roland GIF? Well, uh, age old this is argument. it. Some, you know, GIF, GIF. That's why I said Roland JPEG's probably better. He's Because he's got, you know, he can condense down and not lose so much quality. It's a very good quality to have. It's a very handy <laughs> thing to be able to do. Um, you've noted here that it's, it sounds like it, uh, it sounds like in excess this. And, that does, I think. And it's to be fair, it's the only song of theirs I, I actually quite like. I don't mind this song, which probably is because it might sound like in excess, which is never something that actually uh, occurred to me, yeah. but would make sense where I think he's all right. I think if in excess had covered that, or done that song, it would have sounded a lot better. Like it would have sounded more like an in excess song. Yeah, but there's an <laughs> in excess quality to it, I guess. There is, there is. Um, in at number 39 is Baby I Love Your Way, uh, Free Bird were by yeah. Will to Power. Oh, baby, I love you. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Um, so this was uh, actually featured in the movie Reality Bite. Oh, uh, right. I knew it was in a movie, yeah. Which it says that right at the beginning of the video. I didn't, because I, I was overwhelmed with the sleazy sax at the beginning, but that's <laughs> P- Peter Frampton for you, because it's his originally yeah, by him, isn't it? So. Uh, yeah, because it's got Ben Stiller and Winona Ryder. So it's got Reality yeah, Ben Bite, Stiller. So. God, that's a young Ben Stiller. It is, in a sort of rom, bit of a uh, late 80s rom-com. And ah. um, at number 41 is Born This Way, Let's Dance by The Cookie Crew. Featuring brown sauce wilson it really did sound like him didn't it it's it's, it's weird it weirded <laughs> it's, me out when when he heard it i was like that's wow what's gary doing there <laughs> yeah. it sounds exactly like him when we'll, we'll put, the, put the link in the show notes you you be the judge you've heard gary you've felt his tones 
you'll hear it and you'll think that it does bloody sound like him yeah it's uncanny it really did the song did nothing for me though but that no, really no the video clearly homemade back in the old days yeah. of, you know get up at four in the morning with the video camera but very yeah, much it, so it is what it is yeah it is what it is number 44 is hit the ground by the darling buds yeah or primitives, the primitives. <laughs> yeah they've been cloned yeah so, it's, this one sounded more like the primitives as well not necessarily terribly but it you know, it was okay. Yeah, no bad, I don't, no I don't remember thing. anything else by the Darling Buds, though. No, I don't either. I mean, it's okay. It's very yeah. familiar, though. It's like, oh, it's you know what this song exactly what this song is going to do all the way through. As soon as you start listening to it, yeah. Um, uh, and at number fifty-two is Hank himself, along with Jean-Michel Jarre with London Kid, nineteen eighty-nine. Yeah, weird that it came back that particular track. I don't understand why. Well, it was um, the album before, wasn't it? It was yeah, the no, album. but it's just weird that that would that single. I guess it's because it's got Hank. That's the power of Hank. <laughs> You can do that. It can just make things come back. Do you know, there's the images we see of him with that guitar. That's glued to his hands. He can never never put it down. <laughs> what, how did he go to the toilet? Well, that's between Hank Marvin and the person that looks after Hank Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> and they have to thank Marvin. <laughs> exactly. So a few deaths were probably involved in the making. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Uh, many, many Bothans died bringing us that information. <laughs> they probably did. Uh, <laughs> number 77 is Cuddly Toy, 1989 by Roachford. Facts of this thing broke my brain. Go on. The fact that Rochford was a band. I always thought it was him. I, I thought I thought he was he was Roachford. I thought that was I his name. Bob, not... Bob Roachford. Yeah, this, or, not, or it's a band. And, a, and they're British. It's a British band. What? I, I was convinced that was an American song. Not so. No, I just thought he was, I thought he was Roachford. Yeah, like, exactly. Like Dr. Album was Dr. Album. I just thought people, I just thought it was his name. Yes, but no, that was the band's name. They had an album out as well, which we'll probably come to at some point. Oh, there you go. Was quite and the Cuddly Toy was meant to be a joke song. It wasn't meant to be taken seriously. Did anyone take it seriously? I didn't, but somebody did. Clearly, somebody did. Mm. Did quite well from though, didn't it? It Gets quite high, I think, because it was quite a big hit. I think. Oh, it was, it, it, it's, a, it's not a bad song. I mean, in all fairness, it's quite yeah. you know, it's quite catchy of itself. It's got a nice little guitar riff, and it has all the constituent parts. It's just odd. Yeah, just the bits around it you knew you had no idea about. Eighth of January, in at number seventeen, is the Living Years by Mike and the Mechanics. Oh, emotion, totes emotion. This hundred percent emotion, totes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although I did notice in the video that um, he and I've put the the images here for proof that he does look like the interstitial morphing stage between Phil Collins and Sting from the eighties. He is. He's a tween. He's a he tween. Is. He's the between. He's the tween. If you if you got went in the old school Flash animation or a piece of animation and said you know now it'd be Chat GPT AI, put those three images or put the first and the last image in and said you know and give me a tween of these, yeah, you'd get you would get Mike Mike mechanic. Well, you get Mike Rutherford, is it? No, Mike Rutherford's guitarist from Genesis. I don't know oh, what his he, name what, is. I thought he was. So who's Mike then? Was he a mechanic? It's Mike is. I think Mike is because it's Mike Rutherford. Cause it's his band, I think. Ah, uh, right. Okay, I'm with you now. Because anyway, he's a guitarist um, from Genesis, so he's the famous he one. It turns out he can't cry anyway because he's he's a Vulcan. He, he's he's gone through <laughs> Colin R. So, who's Colin? No. Well, Colin's ass. Colin 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 Ark. You're going to upset all the Vulcans if you could. They won't. They won't be worried about that comment. They don't have any. This is the great thing about cracking Colinar jokes to Vulcans. They don't. They don't. You know. They're like. I appreciate what you're saying is about our culture. Anyway, so, yeah. But, and I'm like, ha, silly Vulcans. And at number nineteen, this is where it came into number nineteen. Is something got a hold of my heart. Jim Pitney and Mark Allman. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wobble. Yeah. And at number twenty-four is "You Got It" by Roy Orbison. It is anything at all. Good song, actually. It. That. Good song. Um, it is an okay song, was yeah. I think it was it released in a hit posthumously, wasn't it? Because he died. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I still quite like that. And it was written when he was in in and around the Travelling Wilburys, so it probably was meant to be a Travelling Wilburys song that they've kind of just let you know let him release. 
Probably. Very good. So, it sort of has their vibe. It has a yeah. It has a very um, what's his face, the producer guy from the sixties who did lots of sort of lots of big production. Um, um, what's Bobby his name? Producer. <laughs> I can't. I don't matter. I can't remember his name, but it sounds like that. It's got a really big production yeah. to it. It sounds like a sixties song. Um, Does well. The video didn't help, did it? Because they they showed loads of black and white footage from the sixties. Yes. Which made me. This is why I think it was the sixties, and I'm like, wow, it was actually made in uh, 1989, 1988. Yes. So, I can't remember. He died of a heart attack, which is quite tragic. Yeah, well, yeah, anything tragic there was. Um, there you go. But yeah, you got it. It's a good, good song. Um, in at number 30 is Get on the Dance Floor by Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. Yeah, not, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, the guy in the video, I'm not sure he was all there. Some, <laughs> something, there's parts of his brain look blank. <laughs> Him so, sing, him sing yeah, hard. I think in that, I think it, I'm not sure. Really, it was very good, was it? it wasn't really think, good. Hank, Hank Marvin was not impressed with that. No, I think that some uh, something had been imbibed, should we say? Yes, and I think, um, yes, I think absolutely. I did. Looks looked like his, you know, his eyes had rolled back in his head. He'd gone. Yeah, Phil Spector. That's the guy I'm on about. Phil Spector. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That big sound. Number thirty-eight is "Wait" by Robert Howard and Kim Mazel. Oh, this had me in stitches. This song. <laughs> I mean, aside from the Quantel paint box, you know, <laughs> it's, it's strength o- overload. <laughs> God, it's powerful in that one. A dreary house track, but it's quite funny to listen to, and I'd recommend you do when you get a chance of how schooled the guy is by the amazing vocals of Kim Mazel because she's an amazing vocalist, mm. and her vocals in that house track are like how of how. If you think about it, how house and music sort of develops over this particular period. There's a rapid development of this kind of sound of the sort of soul singing. Sort of, you know, sort of a really good female singer over the sort of housey tones or that kind of thing mm-hmm. develops into that. Um, and she's got an amazing voice for that. The guy, though, no, no. And you can't just keep hitting the orchestral hit sound on the keyboard. You know, you've got to learn to not do that. No, this will lead to things it. like, awful. oh, has it already had that? I don't think we've had that. Have we like black box and stuff like that? Yeah, right not on, yet. We right haven't, but yeah, exactly. You can see, you can feel it ramping up that way. There's so much of this stuff we're going to go for that's all leaning into that as well. It's building up. You can feel it. Um, and at number 40 is Respect by Adiva. Well, exactly. This is a you know a, a really weird video for this, but it's like again we're talking exactly like you that UK garage house sound that starts to develop. You can hear it now in that song right away. Yeah, yeah, forgettable. Not for me. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's not. It's you either like it later or you don't. But these transition bits that they're going, it's not. It's not all of them are right. It's a very mixed mishmash. You know, some good, some aren't. You know, it's all a bit hit and miss. Um, in at number forty-four, and we're going to disagree on this one. Is Love Train by Holly Johnson. Bloody awful! I loved. I really like this. I love this song. I, lo- I used to really mouth like out. it back then. It's a light, catchy pop tune with a cracking chorus. Great. Stuff. No, it isn't. It's it is f-ing shite. <laughs> it's rubbish. It's awful. And Holly Johnson should never have been allowed to make that thing happen. It's an abomination. I like it. No, oh, no, well. it's not. No, lower <laughs> whatever you're on. Lower that dose. It's, effect- it's affected your brain and your hearing. Uh, makes me happy. Um, Goodness me. Uh, number forty-nine is "After the War" by Gary Moore. Yeah, weird. Channeling Billy Idol and Judas Priest in this one, he is a bit. Yeah, I didn't like it. Very formulaic and a bit dull. This is totally, but you know what? He doesn't do that formula normally. So if someone's just challenged him and he's gone, right, okay. There you go, done. So it's all right, all right. Yeah. But I like Gary Morris' guitarist, So, but his, his look in that video is a bit weird. It's clearly, they're, they're trying to do a video for a genre that don't seat easily in. No. So it doesn't work. No. 
It's quite earnest as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in at number 63 is Fisherman's Blues by the Waterboys. Uh, not my thing at all. I remember it, though. So, you know, that's something. Yeah, there's this one. I mean, there's this one. Rest I was a fisherman. That one. And then there's yeah, a yeah. Hole, hole of the Moon is the other one that everyone knows by them. Yeah. You saw the hole yes. of the moon. Yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah, this is, it's an okay track, this one, um, just because we used to hear it a lot in the pub we used to go to. Yeah. It's always quite been played quite yeah. a lot. Um, and at number 68 is One Love by Benatar. Yeah, Benatar. How can, can I put this delicately? It's It's rubbish. <laughs> It's not very good, this one. No, it is I'm not. not. I'm not dis- I'm not defending this one. I've defended some Pat Benatar in the past, but not no. this one. She, but she looks troubled in that video. She looks troubled and bored. Yeah, she really so, does. Yeah. She looks like she's just seen a silent raiding party off the, uh, the starboard bow. <laughs> and and realised at that moment that it was actually a, an attack and it wasn't a welcome it wasn't, committee. It wasn't them saying hello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me, what she looks like. And at number 69 is Cathedral Song by Tanita Tikaram. Yes. Here she goes again. <laughs> she's off again, but I like her, so you know, I like this, so it's all right. It's always time. It's a bit sick for me, and she's but she's only eighteen, nineteen at the time. It's a nice enough tune. That's not an excuse. It. I don't mind it. It's just you know. cheer up. Bloody yeah, hell, well. sing happy, sing something happy to me. God's sake, you're nineteen. You got your whole life ahead of you. It's like someone's just told her that her mum's been run over by a lorry, and that's the song. It's like goodness, could be. Well, you know, okay, but then don't call it cathedral song. True, true. Number 77 is Look Away by Chicago. Um, I think you have to look away from that guy's eyebrows in the video. <laughs> I swear he's going Wolfen in that. <laughs> I took a picture and then put a cat on it. <laughs> it is a cat, but he's Wolfen. <laughs> he's of the wolf. He is. So as he progresses, he's just gradually turning into a werewolf right before your eyes, right before your very eyes. <laughs> um, as for the song, it's, it's not very good. No, this it is, is not, not. This is not good Chicago. This is bad no, Chicago. Yeah, this this, is, this is Lower East Side. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad Chicago. I know nothing about Chicago. Uh, no, I think you may have offended somebody in Chicago. Then, and that's you know that's not a good idea. No, we don't. I don't know anything about Chicago. That's not the Chicago could way. Could be lovely. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. No, uh, terrible. Uh, number seventy nine. It's my party by Chaka Khan. Chaka Khan. Yeah, Chaka Khan. That's where everyone Chaka knows. Khan. I, I thought this was inoffens- inoffensive but bland. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Chaka Khan off the album CK. Yeah, it's it's Chaka Khan. Chaka Khan. Where you go in Chaka Khan? Yeah. She must get that a lot. Wherever she goes, somebody cracks that joke. She's like, oh, Every time please. she signs in anywhere, every time she goes like, Please, probably... make, make them stop. <laughs> she has to give that <laughs> fake laugh. <laughs> I heard that before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where am I going? Check a can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Buy a gun. <laughs> um, in at number 86, now things pick up. We've got The Promise by When in Rome. Oh, uh, yeah. You and Gary were uh, effusive about this. Wait, I, I can't I, remember I... why. Because it's Ace. That's why. It's a brilliant uh-huh. tune, this. It was the only song they actually really released. They had an they, was... they released this. On the back of this, someone ordered an album, and supposedly the album was crap. Gary listened to it. He told me I didn't listen to it. So the rest of it, no one ever knew anything out, and they just sort of faded away. But this song is fabulous. It's great. It's got a really yeah. good hook. It's a really nice tune. It's just really good. However, the problem with this, um, <laughs> it's a weird mishmash of couple of singers as well. And the long-haired singer in the video is wildly out of place and his jeans are far too blue. Yeah, it's just, none of it pieces together to make it none successful, it, no. does it? No, no it's, it's, it's such a weird mishmash, but it's a great, great song. Then. It's all right. It sounds like New Order to me. So I could hear a little bit of that. But, and yeah, and a few other influences, like but I think that's his problem. It's so derivative of so many other stuff that it got embalmed, which is a musical industry term, but when you're too similar to other acts and they put you on a shelf. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But I still like it. He got embalmed. <laughs> 15th of January, and at number 28 is Where Is The Love? Misha Paris and Will Downing. We have this one. Yeah. Oh, no, it was Kim Bazell uh, and what's... 
Yeah, it's just you know, smooth, smooth R and B sounds in it. Yeah. Yep, that's yeah, no, cool. no need to iron when you can just put this song um, on. The other creases disappear it, like magic. It will de- it'll decrease anything it goes near. Uh, in at number twenty nine is "Be My Twin." Oh, this was so bad by Brother Beyond. The video bad was is awful. So bad, yeah. It's just awful. I mean, is is there a competition between the three of them to see how high they can pull their trousers up before they literally <laughs> give themselves a wedgie? <laughs> Goodness me, his waistband of his trousers up by his nipples. His nipples, yeah. I thought that as well. I was like, pull them down, man. You just got to give pull yourself your trousers, a problem. Don't pull your trousers down, but just lower them. I mean, no, don't lower them. I don't know how do you phrase this. Uh, put your put your trousers on properly. <laughs> That's because he's got low polyism. So they've only got like two polys for each leg. <laughs> he's got no hips, yeah. As soon as he puts yeah. trousers on, they just fall back down again. There's nothing holding him up. <laughs> <There's> no, <laughs> you forgot to model the hips. <laughs> his trousers, remember, he's, they've got no... Te- they're just texture. They're <laughs> just pure, pure texture. They're only on one side. When he t- turns them inside out, they disappear. <laughs> yeah, he's got texture map clothes. So we can get loads in a drawer, to be fair. They're just flat-packed. <laughs> But but he, he never knows what he's pulling out though until he turns no. it back his right way out. No, uh, terrible, 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 terrible song. song as well. Awful. Um, in at number thirty-one is "Stupid Questions" by New Model Army. Brother was well into them. I'm kind of. I, I don't really know what they're doing now. Um, I don't not know what they're now, doing now, but not right um, now. But this was. I, I quite like this song. I recognised it when I listened to it. Uh, Vagabonds yeah. was a great song. Vengeance, I think, is uh, you know uh, that was a good song. And I thought this was great, good as well. Catchy chorus. Um, do you know their fans wore clogs and they were very dangerous in mosh pits? I didn't know that, but I imagine clogs are dangerous in any kind of pit. Yeah, so. And for some reason, mosh or mine. Um, <laughs> for some reason, I always thought they were Irish, but they're actually formed in <laughs> okay. Bradford. But they, but they were. I did just did. I don't know whether they just had a. I think it's the sort of they've got violins and vagabonds sounds like an Irish. I don't know. It just did. But uh, they're actually formed in Bradford. Okay. New Model Army. They're all right. Number uh, number thirty three is that's the way love is by Ten City. Uh, just housey, moary, dancey. We've heard loads of it. Uh, like uh, yes. I said. There's, there's a lot of it spilling out of the music business now because there's a bit of a cash in. So yeah, oh dear. Next one up. That picture's just cracking me up. Uh, number thirty-four <laughs> is Tracy by Level Forty Two. <laughs> what is he doing? What is the alien bounty hunter doing? <laughs> <laughs> that just greeted me. That's the that's the first image on YouTube. That's it. Yeah. That's the still. That's what they chose. <laughs> that's the. I think the glonk has forced its way up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> And he's gone, hey! That's why he's got a tape on it to stop it doing that again. <laughs> he's gone full on, but dong, dong, dong. He has, look. I mean, he's lost his bottom teeth in the screaming <laughs> and agony of that. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's the face that if, uh, if you want to see what the pain looks like of a being glonked, that's that's the real the real face of pain. Though. The real fear. Um, I don't know. It's probably to stop it over glonking or something. I don't know. The song, though, very forgettable. Totally forgettable. Um, the guitarist at the very beginning looks so smug. Um, I wanted to reach into smug. my screen and punch him. I wasn't sure if he was him or whether it was somebody wearing a cardboard face of somebody because it does look like his just face <laughs> just stuck on there. It's like it's been like it's been badly photoshopped. <laughs> it does a bit. Um, uh, also, as well, I don't. Know, I, I, you're probably not going to get these, but there was a thumbnail for another song uh, in the in the list on the right, and it had that thumbnail. It's like yeah. someone stood on the glonk. Yeah, it's this very starting to look more and more like Rutger Hauer in uh, the Hitcher. So. <laughs> Becoming unhinged at this point. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in that picture. No. Oh, dear. Uh, number 52, You've Gotta Miss Me by the Turntable Orchestra. Odd, odd thing, but more plinky-plunky house piano, you know, yeah. And not a very good one either. Not a very I good hated this from the moment it started. From the moment yeah, it you, got going, I was do. like, ugh. Yeah, I can imagine you, not up your street. I know, to be fair, it, was pushing, it wasn't pushing any of my buttons either. No, it's, it's not, not even in my town. No. Number 54 is The Lover in Me by Sheena Easton. Just crank that sexy to pain. Bloody hell. She's 
wow, okay. She looks amazing yeah. in that video. I'm absolutely Everybody stunning. Everybody looks amazing in that video. There <laughs> is that. I noticed. There's like the entire, <laughs> entire back, that gym and everybody is perfect. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the song itself produced by Babyface, Edmonds, wasn't it, and L.A. Reed, Daryl Simmons. They're, they're, Reed and Babyface did pretty much every track that sounds like that one. So when you hear those tracks, they kind of invented, the, if you listen to that and any other stuff, and I'm not sure they had right. something to do with Prince as well, but the, you, it sounds exactly as you imagine it to sound, that that very sort of yeah. hyper-produced American style, very rhythmic, very Janet Jackson at the time, but, but mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more advanced than that. Um, I think she's post-Prince in there as well because she yeah, got judged up. Yeah, I wonder whether it was pre or post-Prince. I can't, I post-Prince, know. I think so. And it's, you know, but she's you know gone from you know British darling to, you know, she's quite incredibly stunning in that. So I don't quite know what's going on there, but yeah. But everyone is in it. Yeah, yeah everyone. And I protest. No, no place like that exists on Earth. Not naturally. No, they're all too good looking, all of them. Way too Ridiculous. good. Uh, in at number 57 is Five O'Clock World by Julian Cope. Yeah, another chanty, chanty, hey, hey yeah. one, but not, not for me. No, dangerously close to bland core i thought it was it was skirting the edges of the old core it was uh in at number 88 is too hype by kid and play Ugh, i don't like kid and play i don't know anyone that did but i'm not a 15 year old in america at the time so you know i guess they digged it it was rap softened wasn't it softened rap for yeah. kids kind of thing really 22nd of january uh another one that we're probably going to disagree on is number 21 is big area by then jericho oh horrible video Horrible. The, the yeah. video, yeah, it comes to the video. Again, another song I, I I really like. I really This is the only song of theirs that I actually have any time for, I do like. But I think this song is really good. Great chorus. I'm very pleased that you like it. It's, it's good that just you, great. You, you need to like something. <laughs> I know I do. Um, however, I did think the uh, the singer loves himself in the video. He did remind me. He weirdly looked with dark hair. He looks like Tom Cruise in Interview with the Vampire. Yeah, he's got the statues and money. Not very yeah, good. Yeah, he really has. But it, the song's just simply not rocky enough for the leathered up look on stage. No, and the way he's confidently stomping about the stage and everything. It's yeah. like, yeah. Bad choice of video. Bad yeah, choice of video for a really good song. It's the only one. Um, my, my partner, I was talking to her about it earlier on, um, and she said that um, she bought the album on the back of this song. That's a weird thing to do. Why don't you just buy it normally? Well, because she, she thought the rest of it was going to be good. You know, She bought the album thinking this single's really good. I'll get the album. Hopefully there'll be loads uh, of other good stuff. Unfortunately, it was a yes. <laughs> one-hit wonder. <laughs> it was a category one error. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she I fell for the hype. Oh, don't, don't, they said don't believe the hype, remember? They did, but... Um, this big area yeah great song but there you go number 35 is grip 89 get a grip on yourself by the stranglers don't know i couldn't find whether it was original or not it's not anyway. it's a cover the original's from like about 1977 yeah i know i saw the original but i, I didn't think they said it i'm just not sure what this had to do with it i couldn't find a straight answer to the question it's just exactly the same they just re-released it yeah but why that's the question and why is it got all those weird brackets in it and because that's the thing that they do with records in 1989 must be, could it be a CD release or something? I don't know. God, only CD knows. single, maybe? Anyway, maybe. probably an advert or something. Probably. Number 38, It's Only Love by Simply Red. Sleazy shit. <laughs> Sleazy. Demure. Uh, he starts that video off by stalking a woman and then gate crashes a party. Yep. I don't like it. No matter what he does, his sexless, cavorting, and overwhelming shuttlecock-inspired hairdo <laughs> left an indelible impression and one I don't want to repeat. It's horrible. <laughs> Why did the middle-aged woman fall for it? I don't know. You didn't like it then? No, I don't like it. He's a <laughs> white-headed freak. <laughs> so There you go. But he was um, popular. And at number 30, he was very popular. And at number 39, I Only Want to Be With You by Samantha Fox. Oh, this is so bad. So bad. 
it's just <laughs> awful on every level. There's so much wrong in that. I'm pretty sure doesn't she go down on someone in a in a in a, fo- in a telephone booth? This yes, there's there's so many wrongs in <laughs> this. Like, they can't what's be going unseen. On here? Um, I, I kind of feel sorry for Sam Fox at this point. I have to say, yeah, I think she's been she is clearly being led down the you know of garden path here by some some nefarious agent or something. It, the cover itself of I only want to be with you. It's bad enough that she's done that, but it's utterly awful. I mean, everything about it. Production is really bad. Nightmarish vocals of an epic portion. Umpa, umpa, Euro bass. It's terrible. And then, like you said, catastrophic failures in ev- from every angle on that video. Foot stomp dancing that's supposed to be sexy and it's not, where it's just like she's trying to just get a, some kind of a chewing gum off a shoe. Um, <laughs> the outright weird staging, like you said, really, really odd tonally, isn't it? Yeah, really weird. Uh, and then when they do facial close ups, she's kind of flicky and twitchy and she's like, like she's got like, she's got a bug in her hair and she's just like, she's weird. It's just horrible. And I, I hope now, because we've, you know, we've, we've had a regular Sam in, yeah. in our, in I, our, I I'm hoping like, this is it now. I don't think now. we've had anyone as pop up as much. No, and I'm, I'm hoping this is it now. Let, let it, let it go. Yeah, just end. You know, it, you said it last time when we had another one by you. Like, I can't believe it's another one. She's lasted this long, and I can't believe we found yet another one. That means there's more shaking Stevens because there's there's some <laughs> deep dark connection between them two. <laughs> Sam Fox and Shake. It's all the S's. Exactly. So, somewhere, somehow, it's connected. I just don't know how yeah, yet. We don't know. I've got a I've got a corkboard up on the wall there with lots of red. <laughs> uh, lots of red string tying these songs together. So bad. I mean, you should go and watch it, but don't you know? Watch it through through you know your hands above yeah, we, your eyes. Yeah, we we can't say what you'll come out no. like at the other end. No. Uh, in at number forty seven is "Looking for Linda" by Hugh and Cry. Is there's an awkward moment in that video? <laughs> Very awkward. Because at the beginning, it's like the guy's playing the keyboard and the guy's singing. You see it as a se- sort of a t- you know separate. And then later you realise that they're sat on a very small table and he's right in his face. It's like, God, that, it weirded me out. I was like, watching, going, God, that's weird. To do that to the, the keyboard player, just to sing, right, look him in the eye and sing right in his face, you'd be like, all right, back off. <laughs> I'm just playing here. You know, when we, we wrote you know, many songs when we was in a band together. We never composed them like that. If I'd have done that, you'd have sat, I've got a song I'm going to play for you and you just sat right in front of me with the guitar and just looked me dead in the face and just started singing it at me. I'd have been like, that. I wanted Get back. to. Back, I wanted to. Back, holy man. I wanted to on many an occasion just to see your true reaction. Back, shaman. Back, priest. <laughs> or I'll slit your guitar's neck. Are those strings enough? No, it, it was dead. It, it is just going. You know, I reckon everyone who listens to the podcast, please, all these links and stuff are in the show notes, as always. Do yourself a favor, go and watch that one just for the awkwardness of that moment. Because yeah. you'd be like, ah, it makes, it makes you feel awkward. You're like, God, that's. He's too close, too close to him. <laughs> Put down your plectrum, you're picking. <laughs> and it's quite an emotional song, you know. He's, he's looking is. for Linda, but he's, why are you looking at me when you're saying that? I'd, I'd be weirded out. It's weirding me out thinking about <laughs> Maybe it. Maybe he thinks he knows where Linda is. But then just ask him. Don't sing at him. Like, and, you know, passive-aggressively sing at, right in his face to make him tell the truth. Where's Linda? Like, There's nothing passive-aggressive about it. It's just aggressive. <laughs> It's just, it's just weird. It's a weird way of interrogating someone. Make them play the keyboard, then ask them really obtuse questions. It's a, it's an oft-used uh, torture technique. In uh, it's from the Guantanamo Madhouse, isn't it? That Guantanamo one, yeah. Bay. Yeah, uh, they, yeah, exactly. Anyway, yeah, weird, weird. What's that you brought in? It's a keyboard. Oh no! Start playing. Oh god! No, now tell gonna... us what we need to know. Where's right, Linda? Yeah. I don't know what you mean. You do. <laughs> keep, keep playing. <laughs> Uh, number fifty-two is Claire. A lot of uh, we've had Tracy, Linda, and Claire. Yes, haven't episode. we? Just bloody fairground attraction. Fairground attraction. Yes. Why wasn't this stopped? Why wasn't that shrill singer just 
you know, just make a stop. She didn't need to do that. It's, it's horrible. It's a jazz fusion in the background. So in the background, you've got quite a nice gypsy jazz kind of vibe going on. Nothing wrong with that. And then she starts caterwauling and <laughs> screeching and ruining what is a, not a nice little jazzy song in the background. She ruins it. No forgiving her for that. You don't like it, then I take it. No, I do not like it. And she wears far too bright a shade of lipstick to be allowed. And I'm, you know, wear what you like, but don't, you know, don't, don't just not have that. a fake. No, not that. No, <laughs> uh, it's too loud. I say too loud. And a screeching ruins a perfectly good song. Uh, in at number sixty-five is a song about Gary. It's the mayor of Simpleton <laughs> by XTC. This threw me. I was expecting this to be like a house track. Uh, no, I wasn't. was expecting it to be a punk tune. XTC were a punk band. I, I didn't. I don't know. I, I just with XTC and all the other names we've had for things recently. I figured I'd never yeah, heard no, of them. I've, so I've, I've heard of XTC, a... but I just thought they were a punk band. So we're, they've been yeah. going for years. They're an English rock yeah. band formed in Swindon in 1972, mm. by songwriters Andy Partridge and Colin Molden. The band gained popularity during the rise of punk and new wave in the 70s. That's where I recognise them from. Later, playing a variety of styles that range from angular guitarists, whatever that means, to elaborately angular? arranged pop. Partly because the group did not fit into contemporary trends, they achieved only sporadic commercial success in the UK and US, but attracted a considerable cult following. They've since recognised their influence on post-punk Britpop and later Power Pop act. Power just, Pop? Yeah, I just thought they were a punk band. Yeah, well, I've never heard of Angular Guitar either, so that's a new thing I've learned today as well. Well, Angular Guitar riffs. Yeah. Yeah. It's all the learning. But like, I thought I thought when I thought X Meryl Simpleton by XTC, I thought I th- my, my initial thought was crappy rap act or right. sort of a cheesy dancey house track. Right. When it came up with a punk, punky song, I was like, oh, okay. That's not what I expected, but no, it wasn't It wasn't terrible. Worth checking out. Yeah. They were, um, they, I mean, they're still going, they've been going, they were going for years and they're interesting like, history about him because he refused to tour or something and I was in, I was reading it, but there's mm. a massive, massive Wikipedia entry on it. Huge. Yeah, I can imagine. If they've got cult um, following, there will be. It's their, yeah. Wikipedia is, if it's nothing, it's big on cult. Cult, cult. But not uh, the cult. Not the cult, likes no. Because they only need a tiny thing because it just says tiny yeah. vampires. Little tiny vampires. <laughs> In at number Don't eight, reach three. my mic. <laughs> Do I? Here, here, bend down, I'll bite you. <laughs> no. Oh, my te- I broke one of my teeth in your neck and you give me it back. <laughs> Bog off. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, bitey. <laughs> in at number 83, Who's Crying Now? 1989 by Journey. Uh, big Journey song, isn't it? Um, the song sounds like the forgettable sad part of a Rocky movie. Yeah, someone's put their own video to, together for this, though, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, well, the, the official one is kind of a sort of them on stage. It's not as interesting as the one that somebody's put together with <laughs> lots of scantily clad ladies just walking around for no scantily. Reason. scantily. <laughs> yeah, no so, one crying. No, it's terrible. The exploitation of women in this day and age. I'm going to have to go and watch it another six times at least to make sure I'm <laughs> No, I'm fully aware of all the exploitation going on. There's quite a lot. There's a lot of exploitation. I need to you know. I feel I was feeling it for them, and I need to Absolutely. feel like I need, I need to, need to make, see more I need to of make it. A copious notes. Yes, I do extensive notes and possibly video recordings and savings. <laughs> uh, and, and at number ninety nine was Wild Thing, Locked After Dark by Toe uh, Loke. Yeah. Yeah, this was a, this will go big and probably get to number one maybe. But this was a big single, I seem to remember. This was everywhere. It was, it was everywhere, and it also reappeared in little things. It's in Uncle Book, isn't it? Partially, it's a little bit in Uncle Book where he's walking and Tone Loke's song comes on. Oh yeah, so so yes. it, it appears all over the shop. While you know, yeah, little wild thing. Ooh, Gary playing me this. And- it pro- this probably sorted him for the rest of his life. I think it probably did. I think the, I'm just interested. There was two videos recorded for it, but I could be completely wrong because I might be getting mixed with "Baby Got Back." Maybe, but anyway, Maybe. same same essence. I think. No, yeah. Not my thing. Uh, 29th of January uh, is "Fine Time" by Yaz. Ooh, this is see the song that doesn't fit the artist here. Really strange because you know Yaz comes along, big bubbly personality, and struggles to sing a kind of Shade-esque 
ballad. Yeah. All so, all starts to go wrong, really. Yeah, some good drumming, though. I yeah. Well, she was just, you know, that's probably not what she wants people to remember it for. I think. <laughs> no, I watched it and I was like, oh, that guy's good drumming. He's like, lots of. He's, he is a good drummer. Speaking of good drummers, by the way, and good musicians. And just to return to a subject that we've spoken about before, I found out some very interesting facts about Jeff Picaro today and the Picaros. <laughs> God, go on then. So first thing is, I didn't realise that Jeff Picaro was actually one of the most prolific drummer, recorded drummers of the 80s and 90s. He is literally recorded with everybody. He's a session musician and also in Toto. And also yeah, yeah. he played four of the tracks on Thrill, the Thriller album by Michael oh, Jackson. Wow. In fact, basically the backing band for four, four or five of the tracks and the produced production and the session musicians for Thriller is Toto. Really? It's Jeff Picaro. Yeah. So wow. if you ever want to... Here are Toto out the fact that, that I think they did that and then they said, you know what, we should probably get together and record more stuff. And then, you know, so crazy. But yeah, yeah, if you go and look at this, I'll put the list in the um in the show notes, but go and take a, li- a look at the list of artists and tracks Jeff Beccaro has worked on. It is mind blowing. Thousands. Oh, yeah, thousands yeah. and thousands of recorded songs were him. Oh, Amazing. There you go. That's uh, and he that's died uh... very young. No, no, he died really strangely as well. Just as a final <laughs> drumming. No, he do he died in his garden when he was spraying um fertilizer on his plants. That sounds like the beginning to uh, Blue Velvet. Yeah, it's, well, he had a heart attack. That's exactly like the beginning it, to Blue Velvet. Yeah, he, he was induced by cocaine, so maybe that was also, but he's, but that's, you know, the sadness of it all. But yeah, he died in his garden when he was uh, spraying the plants. Yeah. Well, anyway, oh well, so there you go. Um, in at number 36 is She Won't Talk To Me by Luther Vandross. Just M-O-R, R&B stuff, isn't it? If yeah. you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. I, I, I'm not offended by it, but I don't go out of my way to listen to it. It's either. very typical. It's good outfits, though, I thought. Yes, yeah, and you can't argue with, you know, Luther Vandross got an amazing voice. I mean, he just has. is. Didn't great go anywhere. This. It's not in a movie. I had a look, so, yeah. Uh, uh, num- number 37, I Can Do This by Moni Love. Good rap if you like this kind of rap. Yeah. This is a brown sauce track, if ever I heard one. Oh, I totally was. He was must have been into this. I can only imagine. Oh, sort of right up his alleyway. Rap is ooh. Um, number thirty nine is "Peace in Our Time" by Big Country, uh, meaningful and dull. Yeah, popular in Glasgow, I would imagine. I think a lot of the video was shot there. So probably number forty five is "I Don't Want to Love Her" by Texas. <laughs> with that weird guitar, if you. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't get the big deal with Charlene Spiteri. No. I mean, obviously, she's an attractive lady, and I can, you know, the, the band were quite interested in sort of the, coming in on the back of that, but I never really think they had a huge resurgence, didn't they, in the mid 90s? Yeah, it was on because it was, um, they got a lot of airplay from, um, what's his name on the radio, didn't they? Um, Chris Evans. Chris Evans, yeah, he was a and big friend of Chris, Yeah, well, I, I, remember, I remember her being on, uh, what was his, TFI Friday quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. They were just, she was, it was yeah. sort of in, in amongst all the sort of Britpop stuff. Texas were yeah, but, but they weren't in there as well. They weren't that though, because I, I mean that song's nothing like any Britpop, is it? Really? No, 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 it's not. No, I can't remember what their big track was that they had in the mid nineties that they came back with. There was quite a few, um, um, but yeah, I just remember they sort of reappeared because they kind of had this, had this sort of section here where people liked them, and then they kind of disappeared for a bit, and then suddenly just mm. reappeared in the mid nineties. Number number fifty five is One Step Ahead by Nick Kershaw. Just sound, it sounded exactly like a level forty two. It did, to me. And, and I didn't like his hair. No, no one did. Didn't, no didn't one suit did. him. All that scraped back ponytail. No, no not good. In at number sixty seven is "Stand" by R.E.M. Oh, I hate that song. <laughs> Catchy and poppy, like frothy souffle of a song. They said it was supposed to be like a bouncy tune, but I did find this interesting. This song is an example of phrase modulation, as the last Ooh. two rounds of the chorus are each one whole step higher than the one previous. Yeah, it makes sense. The song is meant to be a self-aware, tongue-in-cheek, 1960s-esque bubblegum pop ditty meant to resemble the music of the Banana Splits, the Arches, and the Monkeys. Okay, not my cup of tea. No. Not a fan of R.E.M. particularly, and I, I remember hearing it a lot when we was out and about in Gulliver's and that. 
Yeah, yeah. Da, 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 da. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, direction wonder why do number yeah. eighty one Eternal Flame by the Bangles. Bling, da, 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 da. Close your eyes. Bling, give me your bling. It's like a little bling sound in it. it makes nice, nice little bling. Nice little bling. Yeah, we talked about this thing when we discussed the album. I think um, we did. Yes, but this um, was actually said, released yeah. in yeah January nineteen eighty eight, nineteen eighty nine. Sorry, I know. I for some reason I thought it was I thought it was earlier than that. But um, we spoke about that. We spoke about Susanna Hoffs. You can go to susannahoffs dot com. Um, she's still got it. I'm telling you, very attractive lady that. Um, mm. So I think she's got all sorts of stuff. You can even there's even like contact details for her on her website. So you could you know we might have to give her a ring, see what she's doing. <laughs> no, do it live on air. No, let's not do this. Um, in at number eighty eight is Free Bird, Sweet Home, Alabama by Leonard Skinnerd. Oh, do you know I absolutely love this song. I mean, Sweet Home Alabama, I don't mind, but Free Bird, come on. Is there is there anyone on this planet that doesn't think Free Bird's a great song? So good. Yeah, so good. Of its time. It's of its time, but it's so good. Yeah. It was a response to Neil Young, who had um, had a go at the South um, <laughs> and the sort of Confederacy and things like that in some of his songs. And that's why I think in Freebird or Sweet Home Alabama, they actually referenced Neil Young. I was reading about yeah, it. Yeah, it'd be Sweet so Home Alabama, the, they do that. Yeah, the, this was a, these pair of songs were a, a sort of like, no, the South's cool. Right. Yeah, uh, you know, weird American politics aside. I became aware because Freebird's used in so many films. In fact, if you go to whatsong.com, I'll post the link in the show notes. It's, mm. it's used in loads of films. Um, yeah. There's a famous sequence in um, Devil's Rejects at the end when they yeah, decide yeah. to, you know, without spoilers, everyone, they decide to crash the car into all the cops and everything and then that music comes on. Um, yeah. it's, it's just it's just got that vibe. And of course, the tragedy of Lynn and Skinner is that there was you know a terrible accident where a significant proportion of the band were horrifically injured or killed in a plane crash. Yeah, um, when they were on the way from one place to another, and um, that I think changed the face of the band forever. Yeah, um, it did. It is, would do, wouldn't which it? Which is which is crazy. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think they because they had quite a few members in the band and quite a few guitarists. And famously, the guitarist played, or at least one of them. I'm not sure if it was the one that was killed or whatever, but he played a an unusual Gibson guitar, a Gibson a Firebird. I think it's got a Firebird guitar. Very unusual looking thing they are. You don't see many of them around now. Mm. Um, they 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 made like a it's an unusual shape because normally with Gibsons you'd think of the Gibson shape of a guitar whether it's yeah, yeah. the usual things that we see with all of them you know everyone everyone oh Gibson you know you see the shape these ones are very different um, they look a bit more I can't actually describe they look they just don't look like, like standard Gibson shape okay, and they play very differently I, I had a friend who had a bass um, one of their bass guitars and I happened to be fortunate enough to have a play on it at one point and I have to say it was very very nice indeed mm. and so you don't see many of them around no, and as you noted as well, it's dead hard in Guitar Hero. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that because I don't, I never really got that into. I mean, I, to be fair, I remember playing it for the very first time, Guitar Hero. I played at your house. You, you, you know, you introduced me to that entire yeah. genre of game. I'd never even played it before. I remember being really crap at it as well. In yeah, that you day. were. <laughs> Everyone so is bad, I just couldn't get my head around it. But at the same time, you know, I ended up getting an Xbox and getting a copy of that. And I think I forgot that. I think it was Guitar Hero, one of them I, I got. I and it had that had, on it. Yeah, it's dead hard. It's, yeah, it's like forever. crazy hard. Yeah, it's because it's the really long solo and then a really long act. Really, really hard because it's like, you know, it is a tough one, but uh, it's good. That and between that and then, um, what's that? Um, there's another track on there that's really hard. It goes off about nine minutes as well. It's a. Um, that one? I'm for, like... I'm for ages, but there's another one. It's a, it's a famous band for doing really weird time signatures. I don't know. Uh, anyway, was, but yeah, uh... but those are the rock hard ones in there. But I've seen people do it online. Reason I mentioned all that. People who were doing it blindfolded with one arm tied behind the back, one, you know, doing it with his toes. There's these crazy skilled people out there. With oh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. 
They are crazy. That's it. That's it for singles. Let's get into some albums. Let's go through. There's not many albums released this month, so it won't be too long. Uh, 1st of January. In at number 46 is Royal Mix uh, 89 by Mirage. Yes, featuring the tracks Girl I'll House You and also Girl He'll House You, Girl They'll House You and Girl Will House You. Girl, you've been housed. Girl, they've been housed. Girl, your house is nicely decorated. And girl, their house is nicely decorated. And the bonus tracks there, of course, girl in the house, girl in their house, and girl in your house. Yeah. Uh, good selection good of house tracks. House tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> yes, go check it out. Uh, in at number 75, uh, sorry, that was it. That's your only album you had out on 1st January. 8th of January, number 75 is See the Light by the Jeff Healy Band. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I remember Jeff Healy because of Roadhouse. That's it. Yeah. Was, I'd like to say he played, it's because he, of the You see the guy that played his guitar flat because he was, he was blind. Yes, yeah, he's blind. Yeah, he's blind. Yeah, yeah an amazing yeah. guitarist. Amazing very clever, guitarist. very talented guitarist, but yeah, Roadhouse. Roadhouse. So I remember it now. No matter what he does, I remember him in Roadhouse. <laughs> so. And so, yeah, you put a picture here sort of thing in this, uh, of the cast of Roadhouse. And it's yes. just three identical haircuts. <laughs> it's the three stages of Swayze. Kind. <laughs> Sleazy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. It was that name of that guy because obviously Patrick Swayze, and then I forget the name of the woman. Is it? it? I don't know who the woman is. It Sam Waters. Sam. Sam Waterson or something. Something like that. But she's Kelly something, isn't she? I think. Oh, um, I'm gonna have to look it up now. Yeah, Roadhouse. If you look up Roadhouse, you immediately your PC tries to punch you in the face. <laughs> Roadhouse. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Look at that picture that's just greeted me. Okay. Ten. You got to tell you what. I'll give you ten points if you can tell me the name without looking right now. I've tell me the name. Oh, I was going to say, tell me the name of the bad guy. Oh, I haven't looked at the name of the bad guy. No, uh, don't can know. You, what's can his you remember name? the name of the? No, you, that's I, what I'm asking. I was never a massive fan of Roadhouse, so. Um, but is Patrick Swayze played Dalton? Kelly Lynch played Doc. Kelly Lynch, girl. that's it. Yeah. Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott, uh, and the Wade, baddie is called Wade Garrett. Is that Ben Gazzara? Brad Wesley. Is that Brad him? Wesley? That's it. Brad Wesley. Yeah. Red West played Red Webster. Anyway, Roadhouse. Yeah. Fifteenth yeah. um, of Fifteenth Jan- <laughs> of January. In at number twenty-eight. Uh, was Love Supreme by Dinah Ross and the Supremes. A compilation album. Yeah, yeah no, nothing much. Uh, in at number 64 was All or Nothing slash Two Times Two by Millie Vanilli. Um, no. No, no. They got no, their sum wrong when they were asked. Silly Millie them. Vanilli. Silly Millie Vanilli there. Uh, 22nd of January, uh, in at number 12 was A Show of Hands by Rush. Aye, yeah, mm-hmm. live album. It is. It's the third live album um, by the Ooh. Canadian rock band Rush, released in 1989. Uh, it follows their pattern for studio albums, followed by a live album up to that point to encapsulate that period. Um, this was the period of Signals, Grace and Depression, Power Windows, and Hold Your Fire. It's good. It's a bit more synthy than their previous stuff, but just, I like this album because I do, because it's Rush. But there you go. Absolutely. And it's a tour de force of um, the drummer as well, if you were listening to that particular um, some of the live performance of that, some of the drumming on that live, those live performances are some of his best in his entire career. He's on peak form there. They all are. They always are. Yeah, they are, but him in particular in that, he's just like, it's crazy yeah. good. It's only their only live album to not feature anything pre-1977. Mm. Close to the Heart is the only track that goes back that far. Is the closer. Uh, and at number 22 is New York by Lou Reed. Yeah, but that's a happy old record. 15th solo studio album. Good yeah, Lord. Yeah, he can't be stopped. He just releases when he wants. He's, you know, just yeah, the corner yeah. shop puts them puts puts them in the uh, tray in the corner shop and <laughs> just walks pay what you like <laughs> highly Every, regarded that album no? yeah, received universal critical acclaim upon release widely considered to be among Reed's strongest solo efforts hey, you know, I don't know much about his later stuff I don't know anything about him apart from Walk on the Wild Side if I'm perfectly honest and he was in the Velvet yeah. Undertones yeah um, about it Gary was into it I think is he into Lou Reed I think 
probably into mm. everything. We'll say very little about this, but in at number 63 is Don't Be Cruel by Bobby Brown. Uh, don't want to give him any publicity. Don't like yeah. Bobby Brown. Uh, and at number 74 is Red and Gold by Fairport Convention. Oh, now, I listen, I listen... Yeah, I got this completely wrong sort of thing because in my head I had Fairground Attraction and when that song started playing, that was not <laughs> what I was expecting. <laughs> I know, and it's all a bit simple, isn't it? It's in Gary, Gary Lineker likes it. <laughs> Red and pink and red, red, it's just red, but, red gold. <laughs> yeah, red gold. It's just uh, uh, if you like Fairport Convention, you're going to dig it. But it's you know it's preschool Oxford stuff for me. I'm not not into it. No, it's not for me either. Finally, 29th of January. Let's go through that. More than friends by Jonathan Butler, yeah, South African musician. I'm not that I've never heard of. No, neither have I. Number 41 is Atlantic Realm by Clanad, their 11th album. It is the soundtrack to the BBC television series The Natural World: Atlantic Realm a documentary mm-hmm. about the Atlantic Ocean. I went yep. and listened to a couple of tracks off it, and it is exactly as exciting as you think it would be. But it goes, Atlantic Ocean, no, the wettest doesn't. one. <laughs> it just goes, Jesus Christ, I started listening going, I could. I live near the beach. Whale song. Just go out and listen. In at number 51 is Fade Out by Loop. I found that quite an interesting track, that. Actually, when I listen to it, well, this perhaps. <laughs> yeah, it's quite want. interesting. They're an English rock band formed in 1986. Top UK independent charts, albums Fade Out and A Gilded or uh, Gilded Eternity. The dissonant trance rock sound drew on the work of artists like the Stooges and Can helped to resurrect the concept of space rock in the late 1980s. I don't know what any of that means. No, <laughs> um, you put there a bit the God Machine. They were a bit like uh, sound a bit like that, but I thought what I put here is they're a bit more shoegazery. So you know the shoegazery type sounds. St- uh, bands like Ride. Reminded me of Ride. I have no idea what you're talking about, <laughs> and I have no idea what that means. <laughs> it's a band called Ride. But uh, what makes them shoegazery? Do they look that's, at that's shoes? How they, that's how the uh, the fans dance to it. They had that sort of big droopy haircut, and they just used to mope around the dance floor looking at their shoes, shoegazing. Do you know? I'm not sure what what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you never heard of shoegazing? No, I have not, and I never will. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, <laughs> yeah, shoegazing was a sort of uh, brand of music, something sort of where the, the the fans, where the people that were big and stuff and they're choosing they'd just be big long hair that sort of curtains you are hairstyle. making this up curtains hairstyle and they just <laughs> flop around to this sort of indie stuff which would which sounded like this and they would just like look down and sort of move back gazing at their shoes that's hence it was called shoe gazing shoe gazing where are you getting this from from my memory because i was I, did you, I know was you a shoe gazer no did you but know I knew shoe some, gazers i knew some shoe gazers yes were they called shoe gazers <laughs> they could have been shoe gazers and shoe gals <laughs> <laughs> they could very well have been I don't know, but I'm not making it up. A shugazi sounds like a fugazi. Are you sure you're not making this up? <laughs> I'm not making it up. Number 59 <laughs> is Hunk Papa by the Throwing Muses. Good, you are just making up names for bands now. <laughs> they're an alternative Are they, are they shoegazers as well, are they? <laughs> uh, not so much, no. They're an alternative rock band from America formed in 1981. Um, uh. Mainly known by me for the lead member with Chris, uh, Kristen Hirsch, uh, who's still uh, going, she's okay. in lots of things, and Tanya Donnelly. Donnelly went on to be in the bands The Breeders and Belly, uh, both of which I, I quite liked. Breeders did Cannonball. Everyone knows Cannonball. Ooh. She formed uh, The Breeders with... Um, What's the first, Kim Deal out of? Uh, uh, sorry, I was I was just shoegazing. I wasn't sure. It's <laughs> cannibal. At this period, I was shoegazing. I don't know what what that means. Uh, <laughs> in at number sixty three is the Whitey album by Chicone Youth. Oh yes, <laughs> this is Sonic Youth. Yeah, it's uh, an offshoot of those, isn't it? Offshoot, yeah. yeah. I don't know much about Sonic Youth. I don't know nothing about Chicone Youth. But um, I really, I always feel like I should listen to more Sonic Youth. There's one great song they did called Sugarcane, which I really like. I know so little about them. You know, 
I don't know. Yeah, they're sort of re- they're kind of really kind of for- those kind of formative sort of American bands that were doing weird sort of rock uh, in the I, late eighties. The, they're in the sort of Pixies column for me of bands yeah. I should probably look into more. Yeah, exactly. They are very much so in that area. Finally, just to round out the month, is the interesting at number 74, Real Life Boy Meets Girl. Uh, Boy Meets Girl, um, I don't know much about this one, but they're an American pop music duo consisting of keyboardist and vocalist George Merrill and singer Shannon Rubicamp. We might get this track, we probably will, but they're perhaps best known for their hit song Waiting for a Star to Fall from 1988. And they are writing two of Whitney Houston's number one hits, How Will I Know and I Want to Dance with Somebody. Big old tracks then. Massive. Waiting for a Star to Fall is a great tune. It was and it was offered to both Whitney Houston and Belinda Carlisle. Uh, I know Cal- Belinda Carlisle did record a version. It was not included on her album, and it is awful. It's a good job they didn't put it on anything. This really, there should be no record of that kept her. It's no, not, it's not good. It's not good. It's terribly out of tune. She's warbling all yes. over the place. Yeah, it um, shows you how much production went into building the car stuff, really. Yeah, I'm quite sure it did. But uh, as for this song, Real Life, I couldn't tell you anything about it. <laughs> no, no, not not one I've heard of. And um, there's a version of uh, Start to Fall was the dance version that came out in the noughties with obligatory you know, semi-clad ladies running around stomping yeah. on things and all dressed as cabin crew, which is uh, who it was. Uh, oh, yeah. That allegedly was that one, yes. I remember that, yeah. Yes. There we go. There we go. That's your music. Quite a lot of it. Um, we're going to take a break. We will be back. We've got four more games still to get through. So uh, please stick around. And we're back. We've got four games still to get through um, in this episode. So let's waste no time. Let's go on to them. Graham, you're up first. Can you tell us all about By Fair Means or Foul? Yeah, from published by Superior Software, this. So it came from a direction. We'll, we'll come to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a whole £9.95, pence, though. It was. Um, and it got a very mediocre 66% in El Zaparu. The concept is Michael Simpson. Um, this was coded on the C64 by Jason Benham. Benham. Oh, yeah, ben- Benham. Graphics by Jason Benham. And the music was Robert Westgate. They all sound very BBC, Model B type developers there. <laughs> so it's a boxing game-ish. I sort of get the idea of this and the, and the way it was meant to work. I sort of get it. Essentially, it's a series of boxing matches where you can throw in cheap punches and kicks when the ref isn't looking. That's essentially the game. And it's an idea that could work. It, it might have had legs if everything else adheres to the functional aspects of a boxing game, even in a slightly fun way. But if you're going to have this this cheat thing, then you, you can't, you know, you've got to make it so that everything else is kind of by the rules so that the cheat thing becomes more obvious. Mm-hmm. This game started out life on the BBC, uh, Acorn Electron which shows in the graphics and colours and was converted to the C64. Oddly, it was later re-released by Codemasters under the name Pro Boxing Simulator, which, well, I wouldn't suggest this was pro anything, but there you go. So the outer tropes of boxing are here, a series of opponents with increasing difficulty aspects, or at least heights and weights, a ring, a rowdy crowd shouting stuff, two boxers stood, Queensbury rule style, Ready to duke it out, a ref in the middle, and the aim of the single-player campaign, such as you call it a campaign, is in the classic video game tradition of this type to defeat five gradually more difficult opponents, one after another, to become the boxing world champion. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. You are Chris Cool, and your opponents are Mild Martin, Steady Eddie, Dirty Larry, Fast Freddy, Ronnie Razor, and Deadly Dan. At least there's no obtuse, no. I mean, the, the graphics in the game don't really help anything but uh no, no they do you know, not you, you could never really co- accuse them of like in other boxing games of having really odd stereotypes because nothing actually looks like anything human so you, you you know don't worry about that from the opening title screen of the game which looks horribly 1984 atari you start a proceedings and then you choose your opponent 
then the boxing begins. Um, the game is side on. You stand to the left opponent with your opponent on the right. The UI shows you face your face in the top left corner and your opponent's on the top right. This shows facial reactions of a sort and a score, which seems totally arbitrary anyway to have a score in this game. But hey-ho, boxing doesn't have a score like that. He's just punched him in the face. That's a thousand points. Don't often hear that in a boxing match, do you? Nope. The upper part has a little image of a person with the number five displayed in it, which will decrease. These are your lives. And this is essentially equates to how many knockdowns you've had or how many times you might have been seen by the ref if you've done an illegal move. The rest of the screen is the boxing ring. The bell ring signals the start of your 60-second rounds, and the game sees you controlling the play with the joystick to move left, right, and then with a the fire button to pull sort of punches and that kind of thing. When the ref isn't looking, you can do low punches, kicks, and headbutts, which take down the energy of your opponent, which is uh, displayed at the bottom of the screen along with the remaining round time. And the idea is to knock your opponent down or out five times to win by fair means or foul. If your ref sees you when you're doing these moves, then you suffer the consequences of being seen doing illegal moves. And so, you know, obviously, you then start to lose lives of your own and you can't do it too often. I think the issues here, really, you know, gra- the graphics here are not very nice to look at at all. In fact, you know, just all, all over, this is pretty particularly badly put together in terms of that, but the graphics are horrible. Very basic animations, very weird colours. And I guess it's that's the inherited part from the BBC Acorn. You know, that's the roots because, you know, it's just really, really horrible choice of colour palette. But I think you're limited to eight on the BBC, aren't you? So maybe that explains a bit of it. Mm-hmm. There's no, one, no one can argue they weren't offering a diverse range of players here. They certainly explore the gaudy side of the colour palette. So, you know, you've <laughs> got no problem there. You know, you, all of these boxes are all wildly coloured and wildly looking. The animation lacks frames, so it feels jerky on all, the, on all counts. And even though I liked the way you could huddle in the game and switch sides a little bit, even though it did look a bit sort of like they did a little dance, the whole thing still feels off. Landing blows will see your opponent react somewhat, but it doesn't feel very kinetic, which is really a key to a boxing game. You need to feel the thump when you play a boxing game. What constitutes the ref not looking is an issue in this game, as in the thick of the box, and it's hard to notice him looking away as such. It's never really clear. And it never seems to overtly notice your opponent's occasional headbutts either, so the opponents get away with blue murder. Mm-hmm. As your match takes place, the crowd offer comments in little speech bubbles. These vary depending on how active you are, from shouts of zzz and boring to more aggressive and in modern parlance, probably more quite offensive terms. This ages the game badly, I felt, and it does look and feel old anyway, so it has a sort of feel of a 1985 game, really, which it probably was on the BBC, maybe. I think the key issue here is the dated vibes, badly realised graphics and dismal gameplay. There's an idea, well, we've seen this kind of thing before, and it doesn't really work when you try and do this. The blend, the blend of a game. This is a mixture of Barry Wiggins and Fight Night, but it doesn't capture enough of either of those two games to work properly. So there isn't enough decent boxing to call it a boxing game, and there isn't enough humour in it to maybe, and with the cheats and things to, to work in that direction. So what you end up with is an ugly, garish-looking hybrid. Anyway, the game simply doesn't play well and lacks the elements required to make it one of thing or the other. The end result? Well, the only thing getting knocked out is your sense of value for paying £10 for this lump of BBC-coloured dog egg. 66% in zap, too high. You're out! What about you? Oh, God. (laughs) Do you remember, and you mentioned it, do you remember back in October 1985, episode 10, when we looked at Barry McGuigan's boxing and said how good it was? Remember that? And here we are in January 1989. We're being served this rubbish over three years later for the same price. Yep. I don't get it. What's happened to games on the C64? What has gone on? What? Mm. What? Back then, because I was going through a lot of our older stuff, and I was looking at the games going, 
this is so much better. <laughs> everything, yeah. just, everything was good. Have we gone from that great? How have we gone from that great game to this at the same price with purple box, purple, yep, and rubbish controls, crap visuals, and a positive content? I mean, it's, it's just nothing here. Who thought five lives were a good idea in a boxing game? Why? why it's just, so stupid. It's so stupid. You you have three knockdowns in a round. That's how boxing works. That's in the rules. You know, you get knocked down three times in a, in a round. It, this only works if you're going to have a game where you, where the principal idea of the core of it is to cheat if when someone's not looking then the rules have got to be adhered to to make the cheat make sense otherwise if you just apply any old game logic it don't work no it doesn't work so like you i get this try to add something with its illegal moves but they don't add anything much they're too awkward to pull off and who cares anyway i'd have much yep. preferred a solid boxing game with plenty of moves rather than this like baron mcguigan i would just go back and play yep. baron mcguigan i didn't yep. like this i didn't this was it was ugly and it looked cheap and it was purple Ugh. No, it's not the first. It's not the only time this episode. I'm going to be pining for something from the past. There's another one coming up later. This was <laughs> I didn't like. No, this was by fair means or foul, just foul. This was just foul, as far as I was concerned. Get out of here. Go out. You're out the ring. Out. Go. Ko. Piss off. Didn't like it. <laughs> there you go. I did not so, like that game. No. No. Not for me. Not for me. There we go. By fair means or foul. Let's see the back of that and let's move on to our next one. Our next one is Serve and Volley. Serve and Volley. Sounds like a double act. This is more sporting shenanigans await us here in Serve and Volley, uh, which you may have guessed is a tennis game. This is from Accolade, £9.95, um, and has a very, very competent team behind it, with essentially a who's who of Accolade credits behind them, um, including they've worked on the train, Ace of Aces, Desert Fox, Killed Until Dead, Apollo 18, Fight Night, so on and so on. This has got a pedigree to it. Design here is by Rick Banks and Paul Butler, produced by Jay Stevens, coding by Lisa Mendoza, graphics by Grant Campbell, and sound by Paul Butler. This is, uh, you know, these are people who've worked on... That's all of them. That's all of them. But those are people, you know, the train was up for our best game last year. This attempts to be a tennis simulation. That's what this tries to do, and not just Mm -hmm. a tennis game. I'll get to how successful it is at doing that in a bit. So the game starts with a rather simple uh, menu. Uh, I found it reminiscent of Hardball and Fourth and Inches that kind of sort of simple menu design that we saw in those. But offers a few, quite a number of options. You can either play a single match or enter a tournament. You can resume a saved match or tournament. So you can save and load. Once you've chosen that, you can choose a difficulty from easy, medium, or hard. But at this point, you can also choose the instruct mode, which is quite good because that will take you through how the game plays, which is kind of handy. Um, you might want to go through that if you do play it. Or you can opt to watch a demo of the computer playing itself and see if you can pick it up that way. Once you've picked a difficulty mode, so easy, medium, hard, um, it then allows you to set the length of the matches from the best of one, three or five sets. And then you pick the surface from hard court, grass or clay. And then whether you want to play on center court by the seaside or at the country club, odd choices, but there you go. Just changes the background, really. Once you've settled all that, you get to choose who you want to play as. There are 10 preset characters and the type of char- type of player they're me- uh, they are is measured on three bars. So there's three bars with stats on either side. So on one side of the top bar, you've got speed and endurance. On the middle bar, you've got forehand versus backhand. And on the bottom bar you've got final uh, power versus accuracy so there'll be a sort of mark on that bar and where it is on the on the bar is what they're like so depending on where the bar is whether they are fast or have endurance whether they fear forehand to backhand and whether they are a power player or go for accuracy so you can sort of judge that for yourself nicely there are also two empty slots in the roster and you can create your own players here entering your name and then your own stats you can create your own tennis player and then how you wish to play it so that's quite a good addition 
I like that. Uh, you can then assign your chosen or created player to port one or port two, depending on where you've got your joystick. Or you can assign it to the computer, and then you do the same again for your opponent. Um, and if you want to play two-player, when you get to the end of that, you pick port two or the other port, what you're not playing in, or just pick the computer if you want to play a single-player game. All nice and intuitive. It's all quite quick. It's easy enough to work your way through. It's fine. No problem here whatsoever. Once you've picked all that, it's onto the game itself. So the game is seen from side on, slightly elevated view, very similar to international tennis rather than on-court tennis. Players are at both ends, so both sides of the screen. It's here that the real difference in the game starts to make itself apparent as to what we see in normal tennis games. So I'll try and explain this. When you are serving, the first thing you do is you press the fire button. And so normally this would throw the ball up. You press the fire button again when it was in mid-arc like and you would animate and you know, normally arcade style controls. That doesn't happen here. They've gone for a more simulation type style. So what happens is when you press fire, it makes a box appear above your player with, and I will say this at first, a confusing series of things within this box. So in the top right of the box is the aim section. And what this does, it has a top down view of the court and has a yellow dot in it. To the left, along the left hand side of the box, there's three columns. The right most one of these has the letters when you're serving. It has T, S and F in kind of these their own separate boxes going upwards. Then there's a blank column, and then there's the accuracy column. There's a bar just below halfway down on it. So when you press fire again, the blank middle bar will start filling up. And the, the best way to think of this is leaderboard and the power up, power and snap control. As the power goes up, so the, the bar starts going up, and then while it's filling up, you can... While that's going up, you can move the yellow dot in the aim part of the box to decide where you want the shot to go. Pressing fire as the bar rises, deciding what shot you want to do from either T, S, or F. Now, I'm not quite sure what they were. Um, I couldn't find any instructions for this, so I don't know. I work out the other ones, but TSRF for the serve, it didn't really seem to make much difference. Once this is done, the accuracy part starts to fill from the top downwards, and you have to press the fire button when in the green part. Like Depending on the difficulty shot, there's a green sort of bar part will appear around the accuracy bar, the middle bit, uh, and you press fire button when it's in that bar, and, you'll, and then you'll hit the ball, and you'll get the shot in. Kind of like leaderboard with your hook and your snap. It's very similar, so obviously they've gone for that. Get it right, and your player will make the shot, and the ball will be on its way to the other side of the court. Once the serve is done, um, and we're into the point, you'll then get another box saying which part of the court you want your player to move to. So there's like there's a you know like the overhead view of the shot, the court within the box, and there's there's a big yellow square which you can move around on it, and you press fire, and then your player will head to that section of the court. When the ball is returned, the sequence is similar to the serve, except you have different shot types. You've got a volley and smash, depending on where the ball is and you are. There's a lob, I think, or a long shot, I'm not sure, or a forehand, backhand. But again, you aim whilst the bar is moving up, press fire to choose the shot, and hit fire again as it's coming down for accuracy. This might sound quite complicated. Um, oh, sorry, the amount of green around your accuracy and the speed at which the bar moves down is reliant on where you are in relation to the ball and the nearness you are doing the shot. So if you're quite near the shot when you picked it, it's coming down, you've got to go down fast, and you've got a little time to sort of react hard. This sounds quite complicated, and at first it's a bit bewildering, but it's it's quite easy to get into once you actually get your head around it. It's not too difficult. The whole thing here is be positioned well, and you've got plenty of time and lots of green when it's coming down to hit, but be out of place, and you have to get it like really bang on, and it'll be fast, and you'll bit like to do that. So you'll hit it out, or you'll miss the ball altogether, and that's what'll go on. There's also a fatigue bar that affects the shot, and also once you've made the shot, it will give you an, an error rating as to how far off perfect you were. I don't know if that has much bearing on anything, but it probably to the left or right that it goes, but that's what it goes. Okay, so that's what's going on. This is how it's doing it. It's different, but you kind of get used to it. Visually, it's okay. The backgrounds are nice enough um, in that sort of accolade type style that we've seen. 
The players are okay. They're a little blocky. I'll come to some other bits in a moment. Sound is perfunctory. There's some crowd noises, tunk as the ball hits and tunk as it bounces. There's a very typical American-style theme tune on the title screen, and, and that's about it. It's, it's nothing out of the ordinary. It's okay. I think I would have liked to have seen some variety in the type of players that you play as. Some choice around colors and representation, as it's just two white dudes in white outfits. That's all I got all the time. So like, they could have done... Maybe a little bit of uh, sort of more options there, perhaps. The problem is, this is all a bit redundant because I've not mentioned the main issue with the game, and that is the speed. It's really slow. <laughs> and I mean, really, really slow. And this affects everything. It makes the animations jerky and not very smooth at all. The movement of the ball is similar, being slow and jerky and as it moves across the screen. And I can't help but feel this is all because of the control system they've chosen. In trying to give the player the time to aim, choose a shot, get the timing right, they've had to slow things down so much that it robs the game of any impact or enjoyment or vicarious thrill of playing tennis, which is quite a fast-paced game. Not here, it isn't. This becomes a chore to play. And it's a shame, really, because I think there's actually a decent and interesting game of tennis here. They did controls. There could be a decent game here. To test this, I stuck the emulator on 200% speed and the game was suddenly far more enjoyable, way more enjoyable. Now, I know I don't know if it was a thing of the 64. I think this could have run faster. I think they slowed it down for to actually allow you to do all the things. But you could still do it at double speed. So I don't know, because we've seen what they can program. We've seen Ace of Aces. We've seen all those kind of things. They're not slouching the programming skills. I think they made a conscious choice here to make it slow. I don't know. I don't know whether it's because it's the PAL version. I don't know. The animations, when it's faster, seem smoother. The speed of the ball was better. Selecting shots was still easy enough, and I was able to have a decent game of tennis. It felt much better. But it's only in doing that that the game becomes fun in any way, which is a, a real shame. Uh, there's an interesting take on the tennis game here, unfortunately, in its original state. And 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 if I do think about it, it is you know it's probably they're probably just it's probably too overcomplicated. But if you forgive it for what it is, and then you know it, it's just you can't play it because it's too slow, it's too dull, and it's too boring. And that's a real shame. Because if they'd have sped it up, if they could have sped it up, there's an actual okay game of tennis here. But it's a bit overly complicated. And in trying to do that, they've just lost all momentum, speed, punch, and enjoyability. So it's just a, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's out rather than in, as far as I'm concerned. What did you think? I don't care how well you're simulating the game dynamics and rules. If you're making a sports game of something that has the fluidity and motion and speed of tennis, it's, it's got to be fast. Yeah. It's just simple as that. This isn't. It's painfully slow. Now, I get what they're doing, and I get all of that, but nobody wants to play tennis in slow motion. No, nobody. No, exactly. No. It's just it's a fast game. It's that, That's the whole point of tennis. No, it's like, imagine table tennis played slowly. No. It's, it's just, it doesn't work. Lots of player stats, bar charts, speed and endurance indicators, all the Commodore font text you can eat in this game with a strange <laughs> music that sounds like someone performing some kind of synth bass solo. Yeah, it's um, weird, But when it? you get to the you know exciting part, the tennis game, it's serve, slow, yeah. bounce, slow, it's just dreadfully slow. Like match day two slow. And yes. if you can forgive it for that, and if, you know, and you're into your slow motion tennis games and whatnot, and you need a lot more patience than I've got, I'll tell you, then you probably get something from it. If, if technical invention and taking tennis down to its you know strategic viewpoint is what you're all about, then I imagine this is for you. But for me, a tennis game is is predicated on its speed of you know serve to return ratio. Yes, and I and I can't you know I've, we've seen other tennis games do better, better than this. In fact, 
One of the very first games we ever reviewed for the podcast was a tennis game that's better than this. On court so, tennis. Yeah. So yeah. just now, just it, I get what they were trying to do, but tennis is maybe it's a strategic game. It would have been better if you made the strategic choices and then let the match play out and be the coach of a, of a tennis star or something. That might have worked better for this as this stands. I, I just don't like, I don't like games that are in slow motion like this. It just it kills the sport, as you rightly point out. And nah, not for me. Full price game. It's a bit of it. It's the first big miss I've seen from Accolade, actually, because of that. Um, and I sort of get the idea, but it just really doesn't work. Maybe on other formats, if it's on other formats, maybe it works better. I don't know. I didn't think much to this at all. So it can uh, serve and volley something else for me. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame. This is a shame. Just too slow. Too, too yeah. slow. No, there we go. S- slow bouncing balls. <laughs> in certain instances, in certain situations, in certain industries. That's the, the kind of thing you're aiming for, but not this one. It's certainly not. No. There we go. That's servant volley. Slow, 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 slow. Let's move along. We've got still got two left to crack on through. Then let's move along to our next one. And I, and, and I apologize, Graham. I'm sorry I gave you these slots this week. It's very bad. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about pteropods, which sounds like which sounds like terrible terrible slow balls again. <laughs> Just pair of pteropods. Honestly, this this thing. <laughs> this is you know I don't think I've written down it. It's, signo- it's basically Cygnosis. For some reason, I've not written yeah. down. It's Cygnosis, but I've not written down who programmed it. Let me let me just quickly find that. I don't think there's any things for it. That's why I think I couldn't find anything. Um, it's icon design is the only. It's the only thing I could see, which is on the title screen. Yeah, yeah. I thought there was. I thought I might have some more information to give you, but so Terrapods was a, a fairly big deal on the old sixteen bit, as I remember it. Mm. This is published by Melbourne House and copyright Signosis for the C sixty four. I'm guessing mm. that combination should not be. <laughs> and the um, the funny thing is the the cover art for this was by a very famous artist, really famous cover art artist um, who did like quite amazing sci fi drawings from. Some of those early sci-fi books, really famous. I forget his name as well. Anyway, I'll pteropods. Let's have a look. So, oh, so I'll read a little bit of the blurb. Uh, it's quite Dean. a lot to the blurb. Roger Dean. Yeah, so fa- very famous Roger Dean. Yeah. However, let me just tell you the secret thing, by the way. When you got this game, you got a poster with it, of, uh, no, of a scene with a pteropod, in fact. Only that, and it says, you know, includes poster. In the small print, if you, find, if you can be bothered to find it, that poster is not by Roger Dean. It's just inspired by Roger Dean. <laughs> Oh, there no. you go. A bit, bit sneaky trick, that, isn't it? Very. So it's basically someone said, well, I drew the outlines. And, you know, he, he, he had the provisioning sketches, but I, I, you know, I called it in. That's really, that is genuinely what that is. Anyway, so the game then. Um, some missions, Adrian, have suicide written all over them. And I would advise that if they do, don't get involved. But since we have to, um, mm-hmm. this was one of them. Again, I ask myself, you know, games that have these stories that are written in this first person make me nervous. Um, what the hell am I doing on Colian? Okay. Stuck out on the edge of System 7, Colian has never been the most hospitable place in the universe. The only thing this asteroid has going for it is the fact that it is very, very rich in mineral deposits. The kind of mineral deposits, Adrian, that people will kill for. Kill! Ooh, ooh. There's detonite, a powerful explosive, ironically named, that paradoxically is also capable of regenerating molecular structures if used appropriately. Some stupid idiot wrote this, Adrian. Some stupid idiot. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then also it's got something called Quasar. Or Quasar or Quasar. I think, it, I think you find it was not written, but it was inspired by some stupid idiot. Inspired idiots. by somebody. So Quasar is an energy-giving crystal capable of fueling almost any craft designed by sentient beings. Sod the non-sentient ones. The robots can't have any Quasar. Sorry. No good for you. <laughs> no Quasar for you. So, 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 so I'm going to get a poster made that says no Quasar. <laughs> 
to picture a pteropod with a line through it. No, quasa. Yeah. No, quasa, quasa no. for you. It's, uh, sorry, you were known quasa. Get out. Let's save your kind here. <laughs> you droids, leave them outside. A quasa, quasa, no, quasa Yes, that's quasa. quite Star Wars. Quasa. Um, and there's Aluma, the hardest metal known to man. Almost indestructible. So it can't be the hardest metal known to man then. It's almost. It's almost, indestru- it's almost indestructible. Why say that? Why not just, if it's the hardest metal, why not have it? I mean, the hardest metal known to man, as we all know, is probably Metallica, really. But the hardest metal known to man, hey. almost hey, almost <laughs> indestructible. Why say that? It annoys me when they do that. It says almost indestructible. It is ideal for making weapons of war. I would argue an almost indestructible metal has many uses, not just weapons of war. <laughs> anyway, with stuff like this, like this is these are the words of the instructions. With stuff like this lying around, trouble is never likely to be far away. Mm-hmm. Over the years, a sophisticated mining operation was established on Colian. Six separate mining colonies, you can start to see where this is heading, were set up, each with its mines, dumps, stores, toilets, and resource centers linked together by a complicated system of shuttles to transport minerals through the network. I think you can see where it's heading. Everything was going fine. New wealth was being extracted and stockpiled daily. Then the military arrived to set up combined mining and manufacturing centers where they began making weapons from the precious Illuma. Defense and surveillance systems were constructed to protect the valuable assets and manufacturing plants on the asteroid as well. Soon, all was running smoothly before a barrage of missiles from the mothership hit home. It happened. An Empire mothership arrived from deep space and set up a stationary orbit around Colian, the most valuable asteroid in the universe. We've already said that. You repeat yourself, you stupid story. (laughs) An Empire mothership is the most awesome Warcraft. I'm guessing that the 15-year-old kid who ever wrote this took over at this point. Um, The most powerful agent of destruction ever constructed. With its behemoth lurking in disguise above Colian, something dramatic was going to happen. (laughs) And it did. Pinpoint missile attacks launched from the mothership, took out the defense systems and destroyed the automated shuttle systems that linked the mines and installations on the surface of Colian. The few humans who tended the automated mining, why would they have humans attending automated mines? We don't know why, they just did. (laughs) Refining and construction systems cowered in fear, waiting for the end to come. Um, but they were spared from painful deaths. <laughs> Don't look for I know. logic. <laughs> the Empire had other plans, Adrian, other plans. Destruction of the installations on the surface of Colin would have been truly wasteful. Occupation was the goal of the Empire's expeditionary force. Expeditionary forces don't occupy. That's an occupying force. It's a different kind of force. Say so, you're not wrong. Human personnel were enslaved rather than killed. The mining and weapons, but it's an automated plant. Anyway, I'm, I'm doing it again. Sorry, I, I do that sometimes. <laughs> Just my, you know, the logic grenades. Stop asking questions. The mining and weapon manufacturing systems set up by the military were taken over and modified. Modified! So they could make components for the most deadly of surface weapons. Fearsome pteropod fighting machines. Finally, we found out what a pteropod's for. Six paragraphs of guff to find out that it was a robot set up to, you know, a security droid. And they can't yeah. use that bloody fuel for it, can they? Because it's not robot compatible. What are they going to use to fuel these damn things? Stupid. Stupid underlying manufacturing problems. <laughs> Anyway, machines, so they made these fearsome, now get this, fearsome pteropod fighting machines. Okay. Machines the Empire required to bring about its avowed aim, conquest of every planet in space that supports intelligent life. I'm guessing they're ramping up their plan because they started on a little asteroid mining colony. It's a mm-hmm. big leap to go from that to we're going to conquer all intergalactic life. Anyway, very soon the purpose of the mothership becomes clear. The Empire planned to make pteropod components on the surface of Colian and then effect final assembly on board the mothership. Okay, so you're making the pteropods on the planet's surface and then you've got to ship them up to the mothership. Oh, just shut up. Anyway, this was the <laughs> chance the Federation could not afford to miss an opportunity to discover the secret of pteropod manufacture 
all that to be achieved was the collection of blah, blah, blah. But this goes on for ages. And then, so but essentially, the, the long and the short of all of this is that you've got to drive a defense strategy vehicle or a DSV, as it's known to us agents, Adrian, mm-hmm. um, for a mm-hmm. few months to keep a low profile, exploring the trading colonies and mapping out their frightened colonists and finding where everything is. Um, so that you can take control back. So you've okay. got like a fu- you've got a full list of computerized maps. You've got all th- everything scanned. You can sort of scoot about the surface. The mothership then unfortunately learns of your existence and it changes strategy. So that the pteropods that they were stockpiling on the mothership, they deploy more to the surface to defend against this vehicle that's just sniffing about. But they're also programmed to start manufacturing other units, and and it's it's all getting complicated. And I don't understand why it's 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 wrap- the wrappings of a crazy manufacturing mind-based story into some global <laughs> intergalactic dominating force of a mothership for building robots with component parts they don't have. I don't get why. Anyway, you need 1,500 detonite units to prime a radio beacon <laughs> um, to approach one and then lock on after that, you can blow them up. And you need 1,500 fuel units on board the DSV to affect the warp. Okay. So the overall game... <laughs> <laughs> the overall aim of the game is to destroy all the pteropods that lurk in a colony sector and then collect a pteropod component from one of the manufacturing units before warping to the next sector and continuing the mission. Success only comes when all six sectors have been cleared of pteropods and a full set of components collected for delivery to the Federation. You can collect fuel or quasa um, from the mines and you can collect explosive detonite or detonite as it makes things better, which is dotted around and you have to sort of explore and try and find it. You can collect those um, in different ways, but you have to press the B key because that loads quays up. I, I'm not, I'm not even going to go into any more of it. Don't do because it. It's it, not worth it. Because because that all of that stuff I told you there has so little bearing on what you actually do in this game. It, it, I may as well just t- describe the, the, the flavor of an apple when it's first eaten by a chimpanzee on a Wednesday. <laughs> Only the only the chimpanzees know for sure. They do. So this is just a really confusing mess of a game. I mean, not that, that description, and I'll talk about what it looks like as well. So I think the aim and the ambition of the game was very high, but in the classic tradition of these things, the implementation in terms of game design just tends to be shockingly poor. Principally, the idea is to track mine and collect resources and manage them to progress, all the while avoiding pteropods and the missiles from the mothership. This is played out in a similar way to the 16-bit versions, only manufacturing, clunky, and badly, con- only malfunctioning as you play it, very clunky and very badly controlled. You start the game on a title screen showing you the weird robo ostrich like pteropods. From here, you can select to view the keyboard controls or start the game. Note the controls are not in the manual in totality, and so you're best writing them down at this point because you can't actually access them from inside the game. Mm-hmm. That is what we call a complete f- up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because so so you've got no idea how to control the game, and it's keyboard and mouse con- uh, keyboard and joystick control. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have written them down, you've taken the time to do that. Um, you'll also notice that there's bugs in the game because the controls jump around. So as you control in the game, the keys that did one thing that you were told would do a thing change. They change. They change halfway through. Yep. I was like, mm-hmm. why have you changed? Why is that doing that? So the game view once you start, it's a confusing UI. At the top, it shows the score, the fuel, the lives, I think, the amount of detonite you have, all in a standard Commodore font and little boxes with no labels. It's pretty naff. Yep. Under that is your game window, which initially looks like one of the zoom scroll type games or a game where sprites zoom at you, kind of skyfoxy, but nothing like that, but that kind of look. You see, you get a mountainous horizon line with a pixel shaded gray gradient ground and then more UI under that with more numeric scores of some kind in Commodore font. It's all very confusing and none of it's adequately explained, adequately explained anywhere. Oddly, you control left and right with the joystick, but forward and back with the Q and A keys. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand why. I don't. I don't. I don't get it. I'm, I'm never going to get that. I'm never going to get that choice. Why? Why did they do that? Why? Don't There's know. no radar either. So, but there is a confusing map. 
which you'll see by pressing the M key. The view is a bewildering arrangement of icons on a black background that are supposed to be locations of the fuel or detonite mines, which you think you meant to collect, I think, by putting your crosses over and pressing the B key, I think. There is a <laughs> yeah. nice sort of parallax effect when you move around, and you can sort of go backwards and forwards too. Um, you will period, period, but each doing that uses all your fuel up, by the way, and that's a very limited resource unless you're gathering more fuel from... However, you do that, but you, have to, move, get but you have to move to them to get fuel. Though. Yeah, yeah, but it's stupid. In the, I'll talk about the sixteen-bit version in a minute and why that's different. But so you'll periodically get attacked by either the mothership that sits on the top of the horizon at all times and launches missiles at you pretty much all the time, but now and again. And you can use your shield, limited though it be, by pressing the space bar when it does. Moving costs you fuel. You have limited weapons, missiles, shields, fuel, fuels, fuel, and resources in general. So mining, I think tops those up. You can also restore bases for some purpose that's never explained. Pressing P will load detonate into your missile warheads for whatever reason, just does. And you can launch missiles with the L key, um, which sort of makes sense in terms of launch, but and that actually changed halfway through the game to the S key. Anyway, <laughs> note you have two modes, movement and weapons, which you press the W key to toggle between. Why? Why? Anyway, in the 16-bit version, you launch a mini drone robot to go and mine all the stuff and track stuff and it try, it drive, you drive it across the surface. You don't do that here, so you don't have that. So at least, at least not one I could find, so I'm guessing you don't have it. Um, so here, you're just generally using too much fuel all the time. The idea of the little mini drone robot is that you don't use all your fuel up. Mm-hmm. Sort of makes sense. Yes. Because it's a re- in the, in the 16-bit versions, it's a resource management and strategy game, and it has that very heavily imbued in it. Not so much this version, though. For reasons I'm not totally sure of, you can also press the Z, the Z key to flip your ship 180 degrees. It doesn't do anything. If you turn and face <laughs> the other way, the same thing... It's in the sky in front of you. It's then behind you, right? If you turn and face the other way, it's behind yeah. you. Oh, in this game, it's not. No, it's never. It never moves. The mothership is always there. So it's, yeah. it's, someone, it's just, I hate that. So mm-hmm. the game sees you fumbling around these keyboard commands and moving to the crosses on your joystick, shuffling left, right, backwards and forwards. The controls make no bloody sense whatsoever. Why not just use the joystick to move around? Space bar to toggle between modes. That's just logic, in it? Too much logic. In a game where none of it makes any sense anyway. You'll end up shooting at robotic ostriches, which seemingly have no method of, of engagement and one method of attack, which is to run directly at you like an ostrich would, I suppose, where for stupid reasons, you can't actually back up enough sometimes to get away from them. So they just hover at the bottom of the screen and you can't shoot them there because you can't get your cursor down that far. So they just, they just gather, gather it. They go, nah, nah, nah. Um, so you can't say so you can't back them up back off to shoot them so you have to sort of go forward and avoid them to come back it's really stupid there's no radar which would have really helped like, like an elite type radar on most of these games they have that this one doesn't so you've got no idea where you are in context of this map other than to press the m key which doesn't tell you anything because this doesn't give you a view of the ground just mm-hmm. it's just blackness with, with icons on it that's not helpful can you imagine if google maps did that <laughs> I need to get to Manchester Airport, please. Just because it's completely black and there's just a picture of Manchester Airport and a blackness. You're like, how do I get there? I see. Just go forward and back and shuffle around. You'll get Use there. Use the Q&A key. Q&A key. Go forward. Um, so without that, it, it's, it's next to impossible to really navigate anyway. Uh, but even if you did, you'll run out of fuel very quickly because that happens really fast. Or you'll run out of everything quickly because you run out of missiles, you run out of weapons, everything's unlimited supply. Given this is a way, sorry, to restore bases and mines, I'm not sure what part that plays in the overall game design. I think some of this is legacy 16-bit that they never really followed up in the 8-bit version. So there's parts that are there that have no purpose in this version because that part of the game is not in there. It's missing. Mm. And it's, it's not explained in the manual or anything else. So the net result of all of this, it's a messy and dreary game that doesn't play properly. The graphics actually look reasonably well shaded and the effects of movement 
okay, it's parallax scrolling and it, it, it sort of works. It's similar in the way the 16-bit does it. Not wholly dissimilar in that way, but the game is not explained at all in the instructions and it's wrapped in this crazy story that doesn't make any sense. It's completely incoherent and so is the controls in the game itself. You don't ever have a clue of what's happening, what ties it all together, what the purpose is. And I think because they've removed clearly some of the 16-bit parts that made the strategic resource management part make sense, the game has literally no sense to it. You are just wandering around. It's basically down to its core shooter logic part. And that isn't going to last long because you only have about 10 shots and then you're out. So after that, you, you know, you're just sort of driving around aimlessly going side to side like a crab, I imagine, looking at robot ostriches that are running at you. <laughs> and then you, you'll wonder why, why am I doing this? This is just a frustrating junk pile of a game and a real waste of time and certainly a waste of money. It got 22%. It's way too high. £9.95 for this monstrosity for a... Melbourne now Psygnosis title. That's a lot of money for a poster that the guy that's claiming didn't draw. No, <laughs> this is a fiasco of a release and it should be easily in the lower tens, 10 or lower. Absolute crap. Terrible, a terrible thing. And I hated everything about it. So what about you? Yeah. Do you remember back in January 1986? <laughs> in episode 17, when we looked at Coronis Rift. Yep. A game that had you scavenging an alien landscape, fighting off enemies in 3D, all with a joystick. Yep. You know, going up and down, moving forward and backwards, blah, 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 upgrading your craft, feeding stuff to a really well-designed robot. You know, all that, all that stuff that game was doing, fighting off stuff in proper 3D, hiding around mountains, doing all that kind of crazy stuff all three years ago. Yeah. Remember all that? Now in January 1989, we have Terrapods, a game that should not be. And pale, <laughs> just pales into insignificance against something that came out three years ago. It's just every single way go, going. Yep. I mean, you move forward and backwards with Q&A, but the graphics don't change. So you don't move. Nope. You move nope. on the map, but not in the visual. It's like, what? This is stupid. As Deports go, it's a very bad one. How do we go from something so technically advanced as Corona's Rift, which sort of, we thought, look what, you know, I remember back, look what games can be on the C64. If we're doing this now, what are we going to get? Yeah. We get this. Oh, what happened? It's what makes me mad about these games. We've gone backwards. It's gone backwards rather than forwards. Well, they are backward ports, though. I think that's the problem. These are just it is, these but are they, ports. But, but the whole point is that we... But I don't think this is even on the 16, but I don't think it's quite as interesting as something like Corona's Rift was. And if you think about something doing technically what Corona's Rift was with a 3D environment and fractals and all that kind of stuff, mm. we should have been put... The, the machine could do it. We saw it. Yep. What yep. could it be doing? Three years of optimization, three years of pushing it forward. And what we've got is this, oh, let's just try and put something that looked okay on the 16-bit machines back. It's just wrong. Robot just, war ostriches. Yeah, it's just stupid. And it's a crap game anyway. It's just bloody awful. And half, yep. like I said, half it's missing. And it's just a mess. And like I said, if I turn 180 degrees, I shouldn't be looking at the same thing. Nope. <laughs> when I turn around in my house, I see a different wall. <laughs> I don't have the same picture on the same thing and get confused. But uh, I'm going around. to do that, I think. I'm going to do that in my house. In one of the rooms, I'm just going to put the same picture on the wall. So which way I look, it's going to be the same. Like, where? Eh? <laughs> where am I? I don't or, know. Or paint, paint an exact duplicate of the window on the opposite wall. <laughs> It's just doesn't happen. Oh, God. Yeah, 22% for this is... No, this is dreadful. Oh, I hated this. It was a chore to play. Painful in every way. Give me Corona yep. Thrift any day of the week. Oh, there we go. That's Terrapods. Let's move on. We've got one still left. Let's get to that before we... <laughs> Our pods are terrid. <sighs> and our last one. Well, this is Trivial Pursuit. A new beginning. Ooh. This is 15 quid, Graham. It's got 83%. Ooh. Mm, so maybe this is all right. Maybe some things have turned all right. Uh, this isn't the first stab at turning the classic board game into a computer game. There's obviously the Trivial Pursuit game on the C64 already. I think we looked at it, didn't we? 
but it's probably the first one that turns it into an intergalactic quest far into Earth's future, though. Yes, yes, it does give a bit of a touch of sci-fi. <laughs> it does, yes. <laughs> They've been listening to us. They really have. Yes, this is Trivial Pursuit, a new beginning from Domark. The concept for this was by Dominic Wheatley and Mark Strachan. Interestingly, right, some stuff I found out about Domark while researching this. <clears throat> Domark were bought by Eidos, uh, in 1990, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, IDOS in 2009 were then bought by Square Enix, Final Ooh. Fantasy, and you know, all that kind of Crazy. stuff. Which means that tracking backwards, Square Enix hold the rights to a view to a kill oh, on the C64. So I want my, you know, Roger Roger Moore's Brown Coat Adventure remake rather than oh, Final Square Fantasy Enix. VII. You know, you know what to do. Yeah, I think they should. All those games by Domat, Enix, Square Enix own. Anyway, also uh, Dominic Wheatley is Dennis Wheatley. Author of uh, Devil Rides Out Sun. Okay, that makes sense. There you go. Anyway, so that was interesting. Designed by it was designed by Paul Holmes. It was developed by David Emma Pringle, Richard T Horrocks, Kevin R Eyre, Andrew Thompson, Jason Kingsley, who I believe then went on to form Rebellion. Um, mm. Quite 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 big. Jeff Quilly and James Cowling. A lot of names attached to this. Been a while, but there you go. So, yes, this is another take on the very famous and ubiquitous board game, Trivial Pursuit, but it has a story now. The year is 2045, and the Earth has been decimated by pollution and is now a dying planet. However, six of you have access to cool rockets and take to the stars to head for Genus 2. Kind of handy, isn't it? Um, where you can live a life of Where one of you can live a life of luxury, and the others uh, are fed to the Genus people, I guess. Only the smartest amongst you can make it. And to do this, you must pass through various galaxies and collect objects to prove your intellectual worth. Only when all six have been collected and the correct answer given to the genus two elders will you be accepted into the big brain society. There you go. So when the game loads, you can enter up to six players' names. So you can have up to six players, one six. Um, and once done, you can start a game. Uh, you can look at the stats of each pl- uh, each player, but probably best to wait until you've actually played a game to do this. Otherwise, it's just going to be nothing. You can turn the timer on. So you can have no timer, or you can have a timer that goes from five seconds to nine minutes to answer the questions in. Nine minutes is quite a long time, I thought, to answer a question. You can also choose to turn the music, graphics, and sound effects off or on. And a weird option to use the Commodore font, which if you choose, you can't come back from. That's mm-hmm. like yeah, a... It does. You know, once you've used the Commodore font, you can't get back to the nicer font that the game came with. So that's the T-shirt thing to happen, that. <laughs> True. Well, anyway, once you've sorted everything out, it's time to play. The game starts with all the players. When you pick up it, you get an odd little creature as your sort of avatar. Um, and it starts with them all in a line, waiting for the character TP, who is the, is the question master from the first game, first version of Trilby 2, to ask them a question. Uh, asking questions here is very much built on the honor system as the questions are asked and then you have to say the answer out loud. So this is like Trivial Pursuit, essentially. You know, you don't pick an answer. You have to say it. You have to know it. Once you say it, once you've guessed it or whatever, you press fire to reveal the answer. And then there's a little tick or a cross and you confirm whether you got it right or wrong. Okay, so it's playing with other people. You've got to be honest, you know, and they'll they'll pull you up. You know, someone will, will do it for you. Uh, if you get it right, then your character hops out of the room that you're in and you can be seen in the background. There's like a rocket uh, in the background. Um, and this rocket, you see this little car go out towards it. You Your character sort of goes up in the lift and you get in the rocket and then the rocket takes off into space. And it's here that the game takes a turn for the different. Instead of the usual board that we get to see in these games, 
we select our question from a series of coloured planets. Each one with a, um, and each one has a question from the various categories of trivial pursuit, such as history, science and nature, geography, art and literature, sport and leisure, and entertainment. On one of these planets, you won't know which, so you have to keep going through them until you find the right one, will be one of the objects you need to find. Answering the question correctly on that planet will hyperspace you to the next galaxy where you find need to find the next uh, you need to find the next object by choosing a planet, answering questions. If you get it right, you you keep going on and on and sort of thing. So if you get it, if you get a question wrong, it goes back to the next player who's at home base, and if they get out, they get into space and so on and so forth. So that's how this works. What happens is you've got to work your way through the galaxies until someone has all six objects, and then they are automatically warped to Genus 2. Um, here at Genus 2, six large-headed green dudes sort of line up on a sort of like a jury, sort of, sort of, they sort of file in and they line up like a jury. And you have to select which one you want to answer, ask, want to ask you a question. And one of these is the key to winning. Um, all the other five will just ask you a question. So if you pick the right one, then the other players get to choose a category to ask a question to you from. Kind of like Trivial Pursuit, if you get to the middle and you know the other players go, right, no, science and literature, science and nature, whatever, ask a question on that, whatever it is. If you don't get the right one, it just asks you a random question until you get through. Should you answer the question? that's been picked to you from you know the choice if on the right one then you are the winner well done and you've reached genus 2 and you're the winner and the game ends and that's it so essentially it is trivial pursuit they've just changed around the visuals and bits and bobs so it's trivial pursuit in some new clothes really some sci-fi clothes the questions are decent enough you know the tri- typical trivial pursuit style questions from the late 1980s so again this does date it slightly but enough of them you know it's not all bad a lot of them are sort of they are what they are i answered quite a lot of them so i did all right some of them are visual though, some are oral. Um, so you'll it'll play you a little tune, like who you know who wrote this tune. It might be a piece of classical music and you have to answer and things like that. Or there'll be a picture, what is this, and you have to answer and things like that. So again, like I said, it's all on the honor system. So you get it wrong, you've got to say, No, I got it wrong, and then that's the end of your go. The story is odd, doesn't really add much, or and the various planets, I don't know, and the odd creatures that ask the questions. I'm not sure about it. It's okay, I guess. The graphics themselves, they're functional. There's some nice little animations uh, about the place. The characters are weird um, and alien-esque. There are sort of slimy worms or wiggly bits and things, and your little avatars are okay. The tunes are pretty basic, sort of single channel, like, you know, it'll be like, like, you know, that recognizable so they're they work they've not tried to gild the lily they're just like you'll know this we're just going to give you the basic tune um and, but so it, and it hangs together well and it, you know it, it all moves at a decent pace it's on a single load there are extra questions to load in as well so that's quite good it is 15 quid though for the tape version which does seem a tad expensive maybe as the disc version is 20 quid as well like i said there's loads of extra questions there's no shortage of content but it's whether you know back then or now would you get everyone crowded around the tv for a game of this rather than the standard board game i guess that's the real question here i mean with the question with the questions being on the like on the honor system playing on your own is a completely pointless endeavor unless you're really honest and have multiple avatars so you can't you this game is not a single-player game. It's not. So it all comes down to whether you felt at the time you could get people to buy into this version of it, I guess. It's pretty good for what it is. It plays okay. It's Trivial Pursuit. It works. The questions are there. There's stuff to collect, what have you. There's some difference with the sort of visuals and sound questions. But then, you know, it keeps the formula the same and has some music. Like I said, for a tenor, I think it would have been a good alternative. I think 15 quid was too expensive for the tape version. And I'm not really sure it needed the sci-fi wrappings. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. I think they've done, you know, They've just tried to sort of differentiate it for for a newer to try and release a new version and charge for it. 
but it's Trivial Pursuit. If you like Trivial Pursuit games, it's a good one. It's all right. Yeah. What did you think? Yeah, it's all right. I mean, it, it, it plays similarly to the first one, doesn't it, really? With that sci-fi twist. I, yeah. I think it's quite, a good, it's quite good in the way it works. I mean, I can see this working quite well in multiplayer. I like the honor system. I think that's a good way of doing it because that means you're not scrambling for answers or hitting hammering buttons or doing something. Or bad. having to type stuff in correctly in the short yeah, space exactly. time. Stuff, I think, so. and we said that about the first variant of this that, that that system does work well. So you just got to be honest, which isn't you know you've got to be that in the original game, the board game. Mm-hmm. Graphics and characters, okay, they're all right. They lift it a bit. I think it's a bit a little bit different to the board game, which is you know, and for multiplayer experience, it makes it feel more like a computer version than it would be if you were doing it any other way. I, but I. There's the niggle I have is the same niggle I had for the first one. I, I come back to the same issue. The board game's probably more fun and probably a little bit more accessible. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you don't need a two hundred pound Commodore sixty four and all that stuff to play it. You just need a board game. So it's you know, it's a lot less for the same money and the same fun. Mm-hmm. For the, sorry, a lot less for the same fun. I mean, I suppose maybe this was leverage for anyone that was still trying to convince their folks that they could have a, you know, a great family computer and it would really work really. Who knows about that? But it, as it goes, it's quite expensive what it is. But there's all the questions are packed in there. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, I can see. I can see where they where they're pitching it, and it kind of lands in that space. I think the score's probably a little high for something like this, really, in that. But it's 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 of its type. It's not a bad one. So I thought it was all right. No, I, I quite like trivial pursuit games. Quiz games are okay. But I do like the fact that it's not reliant on you typing in word for word perfect things and knowing the answers. And mm. I like that. So, yeah, I thought it was all right. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad at all. Yeah, same here. There we go. And that's it. That's it for this week. That's our seven games. What have we looked at this week? Well, we have looked at, let me just get my list open. I can't even remember. We looked at Operation Wolf, which was exactly as expected to be on the C64, really. But as it good was. as it could as good as good it could be, I think. I think as good as it could be, really. Um, your mileage with that depends on how much you like Operation Wolf, I guess. Um, our Chora, which is as bad as it could be. Awful. Awful. Gary Lineker's super skills, only one half of which worked, and it was utterly <laughs> pointless. <laughs> utterly yes. pointless skills game. Game um, bad. <laughs> game bad, indeed. <laughs> Most sports shenanigans, but by fair means, are foul, which is you know is purple. Yeah, purple boxes. Um, it's bad. Servant volley, which was slow. a nice idea, but slow. Too slow. It slow, was slow, slow, slow. Uh, terapods, which mm. was just dreadful, bloody dreadful. C- confusing, massive stupidity. Yeah, bloody yeah, rubbish. Finally, trivial pursuit, a new beginning, which was which passable. is good. It was passable, yeah, passable enough. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know for, for what it was, probably the best of the bunch, all yeah. told. <laughs> so there you go. Crazy as that is, yeah. Uh, I know, but you know what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So that's it for for this week. Um, and our first lot of games from 1989. Who knew this is what you know? This is what we've come to. This, this is what it has all come to these days. Um, next week, we're obviously we're back. Um, we've got another. We've got the rest of the games from January 1989. So uh, things like. Pac-Mania. Okay. Roy the Rovers. I don't remember much Pac-Mania, but I remember the game in the arcade, but not the C64 version. Roy the Rovers. I'm not sure that's going to be good. Game Over 2. That's just going to be hard, isn't it? Yes. Star Trek, the Rebel Universe. Oh, dear. Risk. Quick game of Risk. Okay. Fast Break. Whatever that is. Sounds like a snooker game. Yeah, probably. And finally, Caveman Oog Olympics. Oh no! Themed <laughs> Olympiad games. They, <laughs> they, they, they're back. What was that one where we had to run up a wall? 
Oh, God, I'm just having nightmares about these stupid games. I thought we'd seen the last of them off. No, there's, there's, I know there's, oh. no, was it Western Games? Western Games Western is another one. Western Games. There was, what was yeah. the one? Was it, what was the one we Blood had to guts as well. Was was alternative World Games or something? Alternative World Games, Blood and Guts, remember as well? Yeah, I think there's more to come. Oh, no. I think there's more to come. Who woke that genie out of his bowl? <laughs> I don't know, but he's back in caveman form. <laughs> oh, dear me, no. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, so we've got that coming up next week. Um, if you wish to support the podcast, you can do that if you wish to do that. Um, obviously, tweet and share and do all that kind of stuff. And that's cool. If you wish to support us financially, you can do that. You can go to ko-fi.com forward slash that to the past and buy us a Kofi. That would be cool. Or you can join our Patreon. There to you can chip in a quid, and that gets our unending thanks. Or you can go for the full fat experience, which is about four pound fifty five pound, whatever that is. You get access to the episodes earlier, ad free, without uh, yeah. You get them earlier. You get them. What else? You get, you get access to our Discord server. You get included in our Ask the podcasts and end of year reviews and all those kind of things. So if you want to do that, then that go over to patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past and you can get in on all that so that's that would be cool our first experience of 1989 is it boding well no it's not i've been start <laughs> as it means to go on well you never know please let you? there be some games come along and rescue no more arturas no more pteropods. stupid pteropods we'll see we'll see what happens next week um like i've been kicked in the pteropods uh, that's yeah that's that's the joke i was trying to make this it does sound like aching balls mm, it does yeah Oh, right, yeah. So I think uh, we'll head off. We'll leave you. There you go. We started. 1989 has begun. Let's see where it goes yes. from here. Um, we'll be back again next week. As ever, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Terrapod Raddings. <laughs> and you have been listening to Zapped Past. And we will see you again <laughs> next week. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuther, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap 64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.